Hi, I'm Kenny Drucker, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold, episode number 10. We've made it, we've hit double figures, it feels amazing. Uh, my name's Lee Gillis. I'm Michael McCall. So we've got some uh, sponsors for this week's episode so I'll just go through them very quickly. So with thanks to Liam Anderson Architectural Services, so thank you for your continued support Liam. We've got Peter McHugh and Phil and Tony Charletta. You're going to hear a little bit from Phil coming up on his latest single which is going to be releasing the sesh we've got a bit of a brief chat with him for you to listen to we're on episode 10 like we mentioned and crazy to, to say that we've had over 3,000 downloads of our, our first 10 episodes which you know seems a mile away from what how this was going to go when we expected it Mike but yeah the, the feedback's been brilliant and even a busy mailbag this week well that's fantastic yeah Hopefully we can just keep the momentum going, especially once the season starts. It's going to, as I said before, it's going to be a little bit different once the season starts. Won't be so many of the in-depth interviews, but I hope you'll like what, what we do once we get finally back underway watching East Fife again. Yeah, so I think that um, it's going to be a bit of a different episode this week, purely because the, the chats that we've got lined up for you went on so long. So there's not going to be as many um, of us chatting. Some of you might be sad by that. Some of you might be delighted by that. So we're just going to crack on. Um, so on the feedback of last week's show with Jay Smart, we, we hope you enjoyed it. The, the reaction to it has been brilliant. You know, I've, I've had messages from one of our listeners in Ireland, George, a, a friend of mine who's an Arsenal fan from London. He's been telling me that he couldn't understand the word that he said and he's had to actually listen to it more than once to try and decipher it. George did spend some time in Fife, but, you know, we're, I'm, I'm steadily convincing him to be an East Fife fan. But, yeah, um, you know, Doug Perry, another one that we, we tend to get some some regular feedback from. He's really enjoyed it. And I think overwhelmingly the, 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 the feedback's been really positive, Mike. Yeah, I mean, that that was our whole plan, was to have a guy that people can't understand so that they have to, like, press play twice on Apple Podcasts. So we get we get two downloads that way. It's great. Yeah, definitely. And that's probably contributed to the 3,000 downloads as people haven't listened to Johnny Smart more than once. But yeah, you know, I, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. His story about Bobby Lynn and the yeah. the, the, the hobo um, for the Player of the Year dance is, is one for me that I think will probably stand out. Between that and Stinky Fingergate is, is the story of our, of our podcast so far. And I think that we really need to get that out there on YouTube to, to, to try and capture a wider audience because I don't know about you, but I've, I've listened to that back a few times now and it just gets funnier every time. 
um, you know, when we take him into Hilton and he's going to the bump there, he's going, I'm Bobby Lynn, I'm Bobby Lynn. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my favourite story that we've had, even more than, than Stinky Fingergate. It's like, to me, that was just fantastic because you can just picture it. And the fact that the guy was believing that he was Bobby Lynn by the end it was just like tremendous. And as you mentioned, Jay said he's thought of some more stories. So we'll get him back on the show down the line to regale us with some more fun tales. Definitely. A pretty quiet week in terms of East Fife news. Uh, we managed to catch up with Darren Young, which we're, we're going to bring to you just shortly in terms of the signing of Danny Swanson. Really, really good to chat with, with Darren. Great insight to how the, the signing came about. And, you know, I, th- I think that from what Darren was saying, he's going to add a lot to the team, maybe more than we even thought of initially when we signed. Yeah, it's for me. It's all about if he can stay healthy as well, and we'll we'll talk about that. Dan doesn't really have any concerns about that. But when you're adding a guy with that experience, it's what he can do for the younger guys. We do have a, a an older squad than maybe some of the the other teams in the lower leagues, but there's a lot of young guys there, and what they'll learn from Danny just. I mean, folks talked about what they've learned from Crawford during his time here and Gary Naismith during his time here. I think it's going to be the same as well. When you've got Darren Young in charge and you've got guys like Swanson, Kevin Smith, it's like the younger guys are going to just learn so much from them. Yeah, I think that we've got the right mix of youth and experience. You know, when you've got like Ross Dunlop at the back, you've got Chris Higgins to bring on guys like Aaron Dunsmore, you know, so I think that the, the, the squad complements its, itself really, really well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but we'll not keep you much longer. I could hear you all really, really excited to hear what Darren's got to say. So here he is himself, East Fife manager, Mr. Darren Young. We're absolutely delighted, as normal, to be joined by friend of the show now, we could probably say, after his second appearance and the first man to make two appearances, you get three, we'll give you a ball, Mr. Darren Young, who's here to talk to us a bit about the, the coup that he made last week. So I'll let Michael introduce that. So, Darren, yeah, thanks for, for coming on. We're just going to have a quick chat with you, just really about the, the signing of Danny Swanson and also the, the fixtures that came out. It was a big news week for, for East Fife last week. We'll, we'll kick things off with the, the signing of Danny Swanson. Signed a, a two-year deal with the club last Thursday. He's bringing with him a, a wealth of experience and a guy that was playing Premier League football up until the, the shutdown. What was it in particular about Danny that made you keen to bring him to Bayview and what do you think he's going to add to the current team? I think um, he's a Premier League player that we've managed to, to get. He's Obviously, he's not as young as he was, but again, he was up until the lockdown. He'd been playing first-team football, playing for St Johnson. He's a great player. I think he'll bring a lot of things. He'll bring a wealth of experience, um, a lot of creativity, hopefully some goals to the team as well. Um, and, and again, he's, he's an all-round. He's, he's a good player. He's the right type to, to be bringing in. He wants to be kind of playing. And I know speaking to him and speaking to a few boys at St. Johnson, he wasn't too happy he wasn't playing last year, but he went about it in the right way. He just kept working hard, trying to get back in the team. And that's the type, of, the type of players that you're kind of looking for. I think dropping down a level or two, I know he still had maybe an option to stay full time, maybe whether it's whether championship teams or whether it was one or two opportunities to go maybe stay in the Prem. But I think the situation he is now, his personal life and whatever, and um, he's kind of looking to go part time. So we were kind of more than more than happy to to try and get him on board. And um, there were other teams out there that had, had offered more money. Um, so it's just not a money thing from that point of view. But 
again, we, made, we thought we made him a decent offer. And he's again, I had a chat with him. He spoke to one or two of the players as well, and I think he seems pretty keen. The training situation is only maybe 15 minutes from his house. Um, and again, it's, it's a guy who wants to go and play football, and he just kind of loves the game. So he's, he's, he's a great signing for us, and to get someone of of that calibre. Um, again, it says a lot about the club, says a lot about where we're going and, and where we've came from to, to be able to attract these type of players. We've talked a, a lot about it in recent shows. We talked about when we had you on as well, that with the current climate in Scottish football, there's going to be a lot of the guys from the top leagues that look to drop down. Obviously, as you said, Danny's set his own business up just now. I mean, was it a long, drawn-out negotiation process or once that you kind of showed him what you were looking for, did that kind of win him over right away? Yeah, uh, probably a bit of both. It was, we'd obviously, we'd spoke to him to start off with. We knew there was a couple of teams that were kind of interested. <clears throat> um, once we kind of heard that he was maybe available, then of course we were, we were interested in speaking to him. Uh, we'd spoken to him and obviously let him know what's on offer, spoke about training and, and things like this, spoke about kind of what we've done last few seasons, where we've came from. I think he'd already done his own kind of homework, he kind of knew himself, so it was good from that point of view. Um, but it's just one of these things, it was, you're hoping that you can kind of get it over the line, but we had to kind of wait, again, just because of the, the situation. We don't know when we were coming back, you don't know what's happening with the leagues, is it going to be three leagues, is it going to be four leagues, are you going to be in the same league, are you going to be up, are you going to be, so we were kind of waiting for all this to kind of finally find out what was happening and once we kind of had that then we were able to kind of push forward in, in terms of money and, and speaking about things like that. He's kind of, when it was with St Johnson, he was playing on the left wing but obviously he can play in the right wing, he can play attacking midfield role. It gives you a lot of options. Have you had a particular thought where you'd like to, to see him fitting in the team? No, obviously he comes and he brings more experience, he brings more creativity to the team, but as you said, he can play several positions, so that was another thing that kind of attracted He's not just sort of stuck to the left. Um, he can play left, he can play off the front, he can play on the right, so it's, <coughs> excuse me, he's, he's a great one to have with the versatility that he's got for us. We're obviously delighted, and I don't know if you caught last week's show, but it, it seems to me like probably the biggest coup since we landed um, Gary Naismith when he came and, and Robbie Nielsen and boys like that. But only concern with, with Danny is, is he's had a few sort of injuries that he picks up. You got any concerns on that, particularly with the fact that we, we play on Astro? No, not at all. Um, no problems whatsoever. Again, he's maybe had a few niggles, nothing last year. He was fully fit last year to play. He's been fully fit you know, the whole way through lockdown. So um, he's, just a, he's just a boy who's doing a desperate to play. He loves football. He loves playing week in, week out. So again, he, again, he, we hope that he'll come here and he'll show the fans what he can do. We certainly know what he can do. Uh, I don't think we take long to settle in. He's, he's a he's a right type. I'm saying he'll be joking and laughing and he'll, he'll get on fine with the boys and mix well with the boys. So uh, that, that's not going to be a problem. It's just a case of getting him out there with the rest of the guys and fully fit they can go and show everyone what he can do yeah definitely so another player that's sort of on the, on the small side for us um, we're not the tallest team in the league by any stretch of the imagination but that in my opinion it's not a, a big deal I mean some of the best players in the world are, are small guys Messi <laughs> and the Esther, these sort of guys but do you have any concern about the, the height do you think that we need to add some more height to the team I think the only height that we've lost is, uh, to be honest, is Anton. Obviously, we lost uh, Lewis as well in the middle of the park, Lewis Hunter. But again, maybe Lewis never played that many games. But um, it's just really Anton. So again, we're still kind of on the lookout for a striker. 
if we can get one, it's kind of same height and that, then it's kind of kind of like for like. Anton goes away, all six foot of them, and maybe hopefully maybe get another one in similar size and stature. But it's no, we we, we don't. It's, we, we kind of worked it quite well last year. We've got just down to other boys to kind of stand up and uh, and be counted when it comes to kind of set pieces and, and things like that. But yeah, if we could get them in a team full of six foot two guys that are. <laughs> Strong, quick, fast. <laughs> then yeah, we we'll would we'll take it. But at the end of the day, it's um, it's, it's horses for courses. We, we're happy with the players we've got, um, and again, we're still looking to add one or two players to, to, to the team. So that that may be um, six footers. It may not. Just so you know, mate, I'm I'm six foot on the button, and if you're if you're <laughs> short, then you know it's always been a dream of mine to play for these five. So you've got my number. Just give me a bell. <laughs> it feels like obviously like a, a bold statement intent from the club we lost Anton one that was obviously going to disappoint the fans so would you still say that uh, a striker is the main priority now or have you got another position that's going to take priority over that no again we're still, if we can still get another striker in then <clears throat> we, we would love to do that there's obviously one or two boys kind of floating about um, and it's again <laughs> this time kind of last year you were okay we bringing in trialists and things like that so there's, there's maybe certain guys that you would like to get a look at but I don't think that's going to be the, the case this season because if anyone's coming in on trial then it looks like they're going to have to be tested which then means the club's then going to have to pay X amount every week to get these guys tested so I mean, we don't really know how it's going to work trialist wise there's a few guys that maybe inquired about um, on loan um, again teams are just kind of starting back up so we'll need to kind of wait and see what, what happens there so we're still obviously looking to add one or two um, <clears throat> And if we get the, the right ones, if they come along, then then yeah, by all means. But great to get Danny on board. Are you finding it more difficult competing with the teams in the Lowland League um, rather than maybe the teams that are sort of about us? Uh, well, yeah, no. It's, you hear the figures that are getting banded about um, with certain teams <clears throat> in Lowland juniors. And again, it's, it's fair enough if they've got that, then. Brilliant. Go for it and, and attract the players and, again, do well for the club that you're at and do well for the team you're at. We don't know the ins and outs yet, but at the same time, there is some, some serious cash kind of floating about. Um, and a lot of guys have kind of went down that route. And, again, you've got to kind of look after yourself, whatever your family situation is. I know that some other teams can help out with jobs. We've got a guy in the background as well that can kind of help some players out with jobs as well. We've already spoke to one or two guys about that. If we were able to come to agreement with, with deals and stuff, um, they would maybe be able to get them a job as well. So it's, it's different kind of tools that you've kind of got to use to attract players to your team because now guys are kind of coming away from full-time. Some of the some of the full-time teams in, in the Championship are, are offering guys three fifty, four hundred pounds a week, which if you've, if you've got a wife and a kid and the family and the car to pay, it's not, it's not very good if you can get yourself maybe 250, 300 at some of the top top part-time teams and then you get yourself a job on top of that. Yeah. Again, you're, you're kind of finding that, even teams like East Bride as well. You're, you're getting these guys coming in on, on good money and, again, they're maybe getting helped out with jobs. Same with some junior teams as well. We've got a couple of guys that I know that's the same. The, the chairman of the junior team's got a, a company and he's helping the, the one or two of the players out with jobs. At the same time, they're getting obviously paid at the club as well. So it's... It's just it's just one of these things. Football's changing, and as much as it's, it's great to be saying, "Oh, I'm a full-time footballer, or I'm a part-time footballer, or whatever," it's now getting to the case where it's like, "Well, do you know what? What's going to pay the bills? <laughs> if you if you're getting twice as much money 
playing two leagues down as you are in, the, in, in a league two leagues above, it's you're getting maybe a two or three year deal, then it, it kind of makes sense to go to go and get the money. If, if you're getting kind of on a bit and you know that you've maybe not got that opportunity, you're, you're kind of not going to cut it at full time level or be able to, to get to that level, then guys are kind of going that way. And again, you, you, can't, you can't blame them. No, definitely. And we've spoken about it in the past. You know, the, the, these guys, you know, they've got to get the best deals they can for themselves. But you'd be pleased to know I'm a manager of a store and I've got a 12 hour vacancy just now. So if you need that to sweeten a deal, then <laughs> more than happy to help you do that, mate. As long as they're happy to commute to Dundee every day, that's no bother. <laughs> oh, you're full of the offers tonight, Lee. Got to do what you've got to do. Uh-huh. So, I mean, the, the other big news that, that did come out was the fixtures were out. We now know what league East Fife is going to be playing in. We now know Partick Thistle are officially relegated and in League One. Um, when the fixtures came out, we touched on it on last week's show, it looks, you've got more home games in a way, so you've got that extra potential home game receipt coming in for for the cash, depending on what happens. But you look, you've got two trips to Falkirk, two to Partick, two to Cove. You've got a back-to-back trip where you're going to Peterhead and then Cove one week after the other. Is this one of the, the worst set of fixtures you could have really have imagined? It's just, <laughs> looking at it in paper, it doesn't look great, but at the end of the day, you've got to play everybody. So, yeah, I thought you could have, it could have been a bit kinder in regards to having to play the two full-time teams away from home. You'd, you'd have probably, I thought they'd have maybe worked it out in the league. Maybe it's just me thinking that, but that if you're playing one of them away twice, then you would at least got the other one at home twice. Yeah. But it's... Then again, maybe it's just unlucky for us. It's the way that's happened. I've not checked anybody else's fixtures. If that was the case with anybody else, but that, for me, that would have made a wee bit, <laughs> been a bit more fairer. But at the same time, it is what it is. Um, in regards to the start, obviously, Covid's away. They're obviously be looking to to kick on from winning the league last season. Again, great, great squad, good bunch of players. I know Paul, obviously personally, Paul brought me in when it was a Halloween and stuff and. So it was. Uh, it'll be good to get up against them, but no, we know it's going to be harder. I, I played in the kind of first game there when they opened the stadium, and it was kind of I think it was an select in that, and it was it was good. It's a good pitch, a big pitch. Um, I know we'll Paul get the ball down and get them trying playing. So, it's, so it should be an exciting game. And come that, that, that I think it's the sixteenth of October or the seventeenth of October, then we'll, we'll be up and we'll be ready for the for the start of that. You, you touched about other teams' fixtures, like Partick as an example. They have two home games against the teams that finished second, third, fourth, and fifth last season in League One. So, <laughs> just just the way it worked out, I'm I'm sure, pure pure coincidence. Yes. But yeah, I mean, as you said, you're starting the season up at Cove. That's going to be tough. You're finishing it away at Partick, so I mean, that's that's equally tough. Looking at the start to the season, obviously the last couple of seasons we've started strong, and then it's kind of faded a little bit for for different reasons. This is a shorter season now. Do, do you have faith that the the team can keep everything going? Yeah, of course. It's, it's kind of the same bunch of boys. They know what's required. They know what's expected. Um, as we're saying, we're hopefully going to add another one or two two more players. But it's as it's going to be hard. It's probably an even stronger league now. And I've been in this league now. It's supposed to be my sixth season now. Um, two of the Albion Rovers when we managed to stay up and just miss out the playoffs and three and this is going to my fourth one now but it's um, that, this is by far and away that the hardest kind of league is, as far as I'm concerned regards to teams have all got big budgets they've all <laughs> there's a lot of good players kind of about the, the the league that should possibly be playing Premier maybe even Championship um, and it's 
again, there's no easy teams here. You look at every, every game, whether it's Partick, Falkirk, uh, the Barton, Airdrie, there's, every team have got two or three players that you can you can say, you know what, on their day they could be match winners and they could cause you problems. Um, and again, even Cove coming up, they've got guys that have played Premier League, won FA Cups, and so good, it's a good sort of good standard, should we say? Um, and it's it's not going to be it's not going to be easy, that's for sure. And ideally, we could if we could get the start we've had last year with eleven games unbeaten, that would be amazing. But we know from the off, it's it's going to be hard, and it's you want to try and get your first couple of points on the board, and then you kick on from there. The only one that I, when I was looking at the fixtures, the first one I thought was it. Boxing Day away to Dumbarton, could you actually pick the worst away day? You know, I'd actually rather have gone to Cove. Genuinely, would rather <laughs> gone to Cove on Boxing Day than Dumbarton. But is is there any game that you're sort of marking on your calendar, going, that's the one, that's the one that we need to show up and stand up and be counted? Because I think I said last week, I think really the first three games we really need to be picking up probably a minimum of six points to to show where we're going. I don't know about that. It depends on the, the performances and stuff. Sometimes you you can perform very well and you don't get anything. I remember it was the Barton, like it was two years ago, and we ended up getting beat 2 0 and we'd absolutely battered them. And it was two set pieces they scored from. It was two headers for set pieces and we were brilliant the whole game. Um, and it's again just that lack of concentration and players, individuals, just individual errors, they don't pick up. And and again, it was it's just one of those games. Ideally, the first game you need to turn up in the first game, and there's not really any games. We'll still go looking at the quarters, trying to get those 13, 14 points per quarter. And if you can kind of do that, <clears throat> again, hopefully you're, you're there or thereabouts by the time the, the end of the season. It's going to be obviously a quick season, but again, it's, it's hopefully we'll, we'll come out all guns blazing. The guys have, have been sending kind of through their times and stuff, and um, they've been doing well with their, with their running and stuff. So that's that's positive. It's just a case of getting back and kicking the ball again. So. How do you look at it as a, as a manager? Because like, right now as a fan, you're looking at the likes of Airdrie, who just seem to be bringing in like, the most bizarre signings, like people from like, the Bundesliga, people from League One in France. and it, it just seems to be absolutely bonkers. As a manager, do you look at the players that other teams are bringing in or do you focus solely on what it is that you're trying to do? No, I think once you come up against them, we don't really bother about who's signing, who's signing what, uh, to be, or who's signing who. Sorry, it's it's just a case of working with the players we've got. Once we've got those players in, we'll work them and they'll kind of look to play the way we want to play. We'll show them one or two different options, uh, certain things, whether it's free kick set pieces, formations. Uh, but when it comes up against whoever you're playing against, then again, you'll, I don't know how it's going to work for the scouting side of things because if there's no fans in the stadium, if there is, obviously you've usually got your scout can at the game watch them the week before. But we'll just kind of take it by week. So it'll be a case of how have they done over the last week or two, how it's their formation, who's been their kind of main players. Um, I've had it before where teams will bring in kind of fancy players with fancy names and until they actually start playing on the park. I think one of the ones I remember way back was Southampton we we game soonest and they brought the boy in it was I can't remember who it was. It was somebody meant to be somebody's brother and they came in and within twenty minutes and his premiership debut was off and never to be seen ever again. So just it's just things like that. Again, these guys, it doesn't matter who it is, at the end of the day, as long as they're performing, it's the same way us, so no matter who we bring in. It doesn't matter if the guys are the lowest paid in the squad or the highest paid in the squad. See, come pre-season, we've played our games and we've went through our League Cup section. See if you're kind of doing well and you've played well, whether you're getting clean sheets or scoring goals or setting up chances. Then you've seen the team. 
So that's kind of, for, for me, it's, there'll be guys that'll be unhappy that I'm not playing, 100%. But if the guys are doing week in, week out, and doing well week in, week out, then that's what kind of happens. And that's that's just it. If you get your chance, you've got to go and take it. Yeah, and sometimes it's unfortunate. Last year, with the, I think it was 11 games, we it was Brett. Brett had sort of found himself at the team. Danny, uh, Danny Denham had found himself at the team as well. And, and again, it's uh, the team were doing well. You're, you're kind of in a position where uh, if the guy's got the jersey and doing well in front of you, then there's, there's, you've just kind of got to bide your time and wait. Like obviously things are starting to get back to normal. What what did the next couple of weeks look like for for you and for the club? To be honest, it's still a bit <clears throat> a bit fifty fifty because. Our situation, we should be training at the Orium like we usually do, but we don't know anything about the testing yet. So it's kind of the SFA seem to have kind of threw four or five names of testers of testing at the clubs and basically says, go and do it yourself now. Uh, For me personally, I thought it'd been a case of, right, there's a Glasgow place for testing, there's an Edinburgh test, there's a Dundee testing place, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. But um, by all accounts, the clubs have all been kind of told to go and do it themselves and be, they're on their own basically so that's that's the way it's coming across to me um, so we're kind of speaking to a few other clubs myself personally some of the managers to try and find out what you's doing how you's going about it um, regards to how many people can we train is, there, is it down to five is it down to ten so we, we don't know we've obviously got the audience for an hour and a half so we'd be in a position that we might have to only have 10 guys training, so it might be 45 minutes for the first 10 and then 45 minutes for the second 10. I don't Jeez. have a clue. Wow. So it's still, it's still up in the air, although there's supposed to be a, a statement of the 24th of August, we start back the 27th, but supposedly by the 24th, you're maybe allowed to go back into contact sport. My brother, who's just coaching me, Aberdeen, he's doing the under 16s and 17s type of thing, and I think they're sort of groups of five or groups of ten but again they're allowed to train but they'd have no testing but they're allowed to train whereas we're in the situation of if we're down to the five or ten or whatever it may be but we need testing so I don't see how that works when the kids are again the way it's coming across these kids are going to be training three times a week but they don't have any testing whereas we train twice a week but we must test really for me it's really confusing doesn't really make much sense um, in regards to where anyone's at and that's the same a few other managers and people that I've spoken to within the game they're kind of like so are we allowed to have contact are we not allowed to have contact um, if we have the testing then we should surely if we're doing the testing and everyone's negative then you'd be allowed to do contact but again it's like what, what are we doing the testing for if we can only train in groups of five or groups of ten so again it's, it's just it's a million questions that the SFA and no one else seems to have an answer to because <laughs> you don't, we just don't know. We were, we were looking at maybe trying to sit down and get sessions planned. Uh, we know the usual pre-season, but because of where we'll be training, it will be kind of limited to what we can do. We only get kind of half a pitch, so it's it's just it's just confusing because you, you don't really you don't really know. We don't, are we putting a session on for an hour and a half, or are we putting a two two same sessions on for forty five minutes? So I mean, if you can't, if you can only have ten people, then you can't even have like inter squad games or anything. Then, yeah, but I think that's that's supposedly meant to change in the twenty fourth. But again, it's there's, there's I don't know. There, there seems to be the the young kids or the kids of certain age levels are, are going back, and at some point, and they're going to be able to have 
contact. But the thing with that is, right, so they're allowed contact, but they don't need tested. Whereas we are non-contact, I mean, do they get tested? So, <laughs> I don't know, everything's, everything's up in the air. And, and yeah. still, although we're only, we're the 27th, we go back on Thursday the 27th, so it's two or three weeks away, and there can I still no further forward. And again, we don't know if we're going to have to get the Glasgow guys, this the guys that are Glasgow bound this side to, to, to get coaching, uh, sorry, to get tested over here. We don't know if the Edinburgh guys are going to go through in Edinburgh. Is there a certain hub? Is there a certain place? I don't know. Nobody seems to know and nobody seems to want to, to help out when it comes to that. So here's what I don't understand about that then. Rangers are playing in Europe just now, in Germany, right? Then you've got, you could be playing a, a contact sport in the Premier League. What's the difference between the Premier League and the lower leagues? Is it because the lower leagues, are, are the players are part-time, they're, they're doing their other jobs? Or what, where's the, the difference? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And that's we've had that as well with a couple of players as well with their, their, their own jobs <clears throat> situation and the work is actually asking, Oh what, what happens? Is the club get compensate the club get insurance mm. if you had to catch COVID? So this is so I'm so we're in a position where like, well, why don't you go back to your job that you're working ninety five in for Monday to Friday and actually ask your job to use some insurance because you're only you're training twice a week, and well, it's not even started yet. But you're only training twice a week, but you're working every single day. So you're like maybe with the boys an hour and a half, an hour and a half. Yet, first of all, who's who would who's to say that they would catch COVID to be training? Who's to say they would mm-hmm. catch it where they work? If you're working nine to if you're working nine to five and you're doing whatever it is, forty hours a week or fifty hours a week, you're doing overtime or whatever it may be, but you're only training for three hours. Well, we, we were just talking about Aberdeen before we started recording there, and it's like the Aberdeen player had seemingly been out and about in the town. So it's yeah. like, where does that factor into everything as well? It's like, you can't keep people yeah. like locked away just because they're playing football at part-time. Yeah. I know, I know. It's, I don't know. It's, the, quicker, the quicker we get some answers, the better, because it's just confusing for everybody. Mm. Um, <laughs> if they could just turn around and say, right, this is what situation, bang, but it just seems that there's also one sport or age group or level and then there seems to be rules for others. So hopefully somebody can come out and clarify uh, yeah. and then we can all move forward. Wow. So that was Darren Young there, a, a really great interview again, open, honest, just pretty much what we've come to expect from him. Yeah, enjoyed that, and a couple of things that came out of it that I think we have to talk about, and some interesting stuff there. I want to touch on what we finished with there, which was about the COVID testing, because I don't know about you, Lee, but that was an eye-opener for me. I could not believe that the SFA have just left that for the clubs to do themselves. That's shambolic. It's a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, you only need to look at the whole outcry after the Aberdeen players going out, Aberdeen going into lockdown. And, you know, there, there's there's so much ambiguity and confusion around the, the COVID stuff. And that's not just from a football level. I think that's universal. But I, I don't understand how I could be in a shopping centre dealing, you know, seeing thousands of people going by me every day, 
you know, you're watching the Premier League, you know, Man City are playing Real Madrid tonight. They can tackle each other, but our boys can't train. It's, there's just, there's too much, I don't know, confusion. I, I can't think of a better word. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to the way that we're acting with it. No, one of the concerns I have, though, about getting tests done around the country, and it's something that we've seen over here in North America, is there's been a lot of false positives because different labs, stuff's happened, and then when they retest it in a different lab, it's a different result. So if you're getting guys from your team just tested all over the country, that doesn't seem right either. The whole team should be tested by the one lab. And for me, there, there should have been a, a lab that just made sense in the East and the West and all the clubs used those. It should not be about the clubs to go around. The danger is some clubs might cut corners. You would hope not intentionally, but things can happen. Things can get missed. And the other concerning thing is we're part-time. Darren's mentioned there that employers are saying, well, what happens if one of our employees gets COVID and they they feel it's from playing football? Are you going to be liable? Are they going to sue you for lost wages? Or That, to me, is very concerning. But, you know, how did, how can they prove it? And I think if that's to go to court, they would have to be able to prove it. Because realistically, who's to say that they hasn't got it when he's went down to Morrison's? Yeah. Who's to say he hasn't got it when he's been out walking the dog? Who's to say he hasn't got it from his kid who's been to nursery? There's, there's two. There's no way that you could that you could prove that that's where you've got it from. And I think that that should be the club's standpoint. Yeah. I mean, hopefully things don't come to that anyway. But the, the whole Aberdeen thing is a bit of an eye-opener especially because it looks like the players were out on a Saturday night and it goes against what they're meant to be doing. And that was partly in the the women's league over here. One of the teams had to pull out because some of the girls had been out partying before they left in Florida and they caught COVID. Two MLS teams, they'd caught it from going out before they went into the bubble and then they couldn't take part in the tournament. So it just shows you how easy this is to just suddenly ramp up. And you see the numbers come out of Aberdeen now as well, not just the players, but in general. And that's a concern because we talked about it, I think even on last week's show, if the Premier Clubs absolutely mess this up for everyone, then it's unforgivable. And they've got two months to make sure that they don't spoil this for everyone else. And the lower leagues just cannot afford to not be playing in October. No, definitely not. I mean, you and I spoke about it, I think, off air last night about the amount of clubs down England that are just going to the wall yeah. purely because there's no income coming in. And, you know, clubs like us, clubs like, you know, the Cowden B, Salvian Rovers, Annans, East, uh, East Orleans, you're, you know, clubs that are our size, we need the gate receipts. We need that money coming in. You know, if we're capturing guys like Danny Swanson, the, the wages need paid. So we need to make sure that, yeah, these guys upstairs in the, the Premier League have got a, a huge responsibility to make sure that they get this right, 100%. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, after seeing Aberdeen game having to be postponed because of that, it's, it's got me a, a little bit worried. I was more worried that they weren't going to postpone it at one point. Aberdeen were just prepared to bite the bullet and say, yeah, OK, we'll play with a weakened team. But there's the risk of you don't know who's got it and hasn't, it hasn't shown up in them yet. So to me, they had to postpone it. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Something else that Darren raised that I, I kind of wanted to touch on as well, and we've talked about it a lot, 
is these non-league teams that's spending all this money, I don't see what they're getting out of it to spend it right now when not all of them are guaranteed promotion. Maybe not even one of them even gets promoted. And you're looking around England and I've been following this really closely. It's now up to over 20 teams that have gone bust, partly through COVID, partly just because just finances in general were just so, so bad. But I I don't know what somebody gets in non-league right now in spending all this money. And then what happens if they put all in on this season and then they don't go up? Is the money still there next season? Is the club still there next season? Look, my feelings on this are probably well established over the, the last 10 episodes that, you know, live within your means if you're going to go hammer and tongs towards it and you're a fan of that club and you're standing by watching that happen, like, you know, it's like watching a car crash unfold in front of you in slow motion. If it's not sustainable, you know, for example, take, take a look at, I don't know, East Kilbride or, or Kelty, um, offering players two, three-year deals on £450 a week, £400 a week, whatever they're offering. Um, you know, how is that sustainable? They're not getting big crowds in, so how, you know, how are they getting away with that? I've said already that there should be some sort of level of financial fair play in place because not only does it affect the club and the fans of those clubs, it affects the players as well because if you're a 32, 33-year-old player and you're signing a two, three-year deal thinking you're going to get into your mid-30s with this wage guaranteed and then the club goes to the wall and then you're 35 and you're not going to get that same money mm-hmm. elsewhere, you know, you've got to think about the financial implications for the players as well. So I don't know. I think that you've really got to... We've just got to watch it unfold. There's not, there's nothing we can do as yeah. fans. Well, I mean, we've seen it with Gretna. We're going to we're going to hear from Kenny Duker soon, and it's like he went through the whole Gretna experience, and it wasn't a happy time after the the initial couple of seasons there. And then I, I don't know if you you've seen the news today, Lee, but in England, League One and League Two have introduced something that we've got over here in North America, which is a salary cap now, so clubs can't live without their means, and I'm all for it. Yeah. 100%. I think that's an excellent idea. I've missed that due to, due to working today, but absolutely delighted to hear that. And I, to be honest, I think that it should um, be introduced over here 100%, particularly in the lowland leagues. And the, you know, like, look at Darvel and the money that they're spending, right? You know, they, they're a small town in Ayrshire. How are they affording to pay? You know, I think Daryl Meggett went there for silly money um, after he left his Fife. And you're like, that can't be sustainable. There's got to be a, you want to know what, if you're dropping down to the juniors, you're dropping down, the maximum you could get is 80 quid a week. If you're going to be in the Lowland League, the maximum you can get is £150, £200 a week. And it should be based on the, the, the football pyramid itself. That The higher you are, the better the player you are, the more ambitious that you should be to be going up the leagues, to make yourself more money, and therefore we could end up with a better product in our game. Absolutely. So speaking of Aberdeen and people going out and getting drunk, we're delighted to bring to you the, one of your favourite sections from this week's Have You Heard? But one of our own. He's one of our own. He's one of our own. Phil Charletta, he's one of our own. So got uh, PG Charletta with his debut single, The Sesh, which we're delighted to be the first people to bring that to you. Thanks very much for Phil for giving us that opportunity. But first of all, we wanted to have a quick catch up with Phil. So here he is, PG Charletta himself, Mr. Phil Charletta.
So, delighted to be joined by Fife Music Artist, the one and only PG Charletta, Phil Gerardo Charletta is joining us. Um, How's it going? Good, good man, good. I've already seen you today after I sold you a phone and fleeced you silly, but it's good to, to have you on the show. Obviously, I know you've been a fan um, of the podcast since we launched it. You've literally been there and bought the t-shirt, so it's good to have you on. Um, we're going to be getting to listen to the first play, I believe, of your single, The Sesh, which is getting released. Is it on Sunday? No, the, so the release date, we're, we're aiming to get it released on the 28th of August, so we're hoping to, we're just doing the, the sort of final touches on the track, so we're hoping to have the final version of the tracks ready for for round about Sunday, but the, the sort of release date's aiming for the, the 28th, so it'll be the end of August, so it's still to be confirmed. And people will see that on my, my social media. Once I announce it with a confirmed date, they'll see when it's coming out. So, like I say, I, I know that you've been a, a fan of the show since day one. I, I'm guessing that coming onto the podcast is like a dream come true for you. <laughs> Listen, uh, when you're a young boy, you, you dream of uh, being a footballer. I'm keeping in contact, uh, well, keeping uh, sort of consistent with the, the previous podcast, you know, playing for massive five clubs like, you know, Bollinger Rovers. <laughs> you know, dreaming of getting dreaming of getting the brown envelopes, but you, know, you sort of hit the age of twenty five and you realise you're you're shite at football. So <laughs> the attention the attention turns to, to music and podcasts. So I, it doesn't get any bigger than this. That t shirt yeah. once it's signed by yourself and uh, golf, um, it's gonna get framed and put in the wall. That's fine, man. we'll sure that we'll get that out to you, no problem. <laughs> Just in, in terms of football then obviously we know you're a you're an East Fife man, so what are your memories of supporting the Fife? So it'll be a vast range, so I believe my first game, um, I was a toddler, so it was Berwick Rangers away. So my dad, Tony Chaletta, um, Todd, I listened on the podcast, he took me down. And I, I cried for 90 minutes, apparently, but obviously enjoy it, just the sheer quality of football that was on, on display. Um, so that would be my first memories, and then all the way to, to modern day. So I got to see the uh, you know various promotion and title wins. So I would say I'm a, I'm a qualified time-served pitch invader. So... You know, that includes memories of the man you've got on the podcast uh, today, Juca versus Queen's Park. I was there with my, my granddad. Um, I remember the goal and I remember running in the park and my granddad was in his 60s and he, you know, he was chasing after me onto the park. Um, to 2007-8, so he's still in a way. Just what a great season um, and what a title win that was and just to spend that with your, with your friends and your family, which was which was amazing. Uh, then Clyde away, sort of an unexpected uh, title win. Um, great job that uh, Gary Naismith done that season but there's there's still a picture of me and Lee floating about on the pitch at Broadwood after that game um, and then the sort of other two games that stick out for me was Aberdeen away uh, the 3-3 the and then the 4-3 penalty win so I'd just moved to Aberdeen that week and it was Freshers week for university so my good mate Max McCarroll he travelled up to the game I believe my dad came on the bus um, and yeah just what unfolded that evening was uh, was amazing um, I remember, you know, Stephen Hislop giving away the penalty at the end and then sort of redeeming himself in the in the shootout. Um, and then, you know, just pandemonium at the end. Uh, me and Max still laugh about it today. You know, Stevie Hislop, I remember him running across and just grabbing the badge like that, trying to the fans and then jumping into the ground and then, and then jumping, just sheer madness. And then another one that's quite a, a weird one that sticks out is Arbroath at home. And that, I believe that was the season after seven and eight. And that was a 2-2. It was 2-2 at home and East Fife went down to nine men. Um, and I remember we got a set piece. I can't remember who scored the header, but the set piece went in and we scored. And the place, East Fife just like, well, Bayview just went mental. Um, 
but those are yeah, those are the sort of games that, that stick out for me. D- does your dad not point out how lucky you are to see actual success? Because he's going to be like me and watch the team for years with absolutely nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I believe there's a lot of these big moments that my dad's missed as well. So the 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 Duca sort of renowned game against Queen's Park when we got promoted there, like he he missed that game as well. Um, so yeah, he does joke a bit back and forth. So let's get on to your musical side of things then. So tell us a little bit about your song. Uh, what was the inspiration behind it? Um, I just think, you know, culturally in Scotland, you know, people tend to go in the sesh quite a lot. So as the lyrics in the song say it, you know, a Friday turns into a Sunday. So, you know, just joking, you know, everybody's just been on a sesh that's went too far, right? Um, but generally, um, I just want to write music based on, you know, the memories of friends, family and myself. And I think the sesh has has a sort of mental health message behind it as well. You know, you know, sort of some of the reasons that lead on you, you lead to you going on the sesh, and then, you know, the associated highs and low, um, that result in you completing your sesh. So, I just wanted, you know, write music people can relate and connect to and, and reflect um, on life, but then also music that's that's catchy and people can't get out of their heads and they just want more. Um, and to me, I just think, you know, music and football go hand in hand. So. People come to watch football to just get a release and break from everyday life. And I just think music's similar to that. And that's, that's just what I love about them both. So, I mean, I've said it to you already, a lot of heavy Jerry Cinnamon vibes <laughs> to, the, to the song. Yeah, a massive fan. A huge Jerry Cinnamon fan, me, you know, Jerry Cinnamon number one fan. But, you know, is that the sort of sound that you're going for? Just that sort of, for lack of, in fact, to use one of your words, that sort of gadget music. <laughs> Ah, it's popular at the moment. Um, I think because I, I sing with a, a Scottish accent, so I'll be a, an East Coast accent instead of a, a West Coast accent, you're never going to get away from the Jerry Cinnamon comparisons. But what I will say is, I believe Jerry Cinnamon's he's created a, a sort of genre. And, you know, he's he's gave people like myself just the belief that you can come from humble beginnings and start, start from nowhere and then all of a sudden burst onto the scene. So I think it's important for me, it's, you know, you're always going to have musical influences and you're always going to have people that you, you sound like. But, you know, if you want to really go far in music, you need to have your own sound. You know, you have to be PG Chaletta or you have to be Phil Chaletta. So, yeah, it's not just a case of just sounding like Jerry Cinnamon. There's a lot of other aspects to consider. Yeah, uh, yeah you know that I was going to get that in because I've been winding up <laughs> to, to let me hear it. But, I mean, look, it, 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 these things do go hand in hand, you know, well, the stone roses there wouldn't be oasis where oasis yeah. you wouldn't have the view without the view you wouldn't have some of the other bands that we're seeing going about just now so you know it's always going to happen with influence you know without the, stone, uh, without the beatles there wouldn't be the stone roses so there's there's all those sort of ties and connections so although that there's going to be those comparisons and i think that our listeners will, will, will hear that when they when they hear your song there's, there's definitely some Jerry Cinnamon vibes to it, but I think you've definitely put your own spin on it as well. And, you know, I even sent you a voice drop of me singing it on my way home for work tonight. So, and <laughs> your mate's comatose. Ah, your mate's comatose. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Mike's not actually heard it yet, so I'm going to send nope. it to him after this um, so I, I can send it over. Uh, I, I think it'll be huge in Canada, Mike, though. They'll understand the, uh, <laughs> the, the lyrics and the, and the wording. Can you say that? But a band that Mike and I really liked was Glass Vegas. Um, and they were massive. They did really well in America and uh, Americas, and you know, floors and football taps. There's, there's every chance you could get in there. Yeah, my go square go. But I remember the boy from he he played for East Fife at one point. Yeah, 
I know the he so far he's the only guy that's played for East Fife that's had a, a big singing career. So Jamesy Allen, he wasn't a great footballer, but he was obviously a better musician. He sang in his natural accent, and you don't get as much of that in the older days. It's more common now that folk are actually singing in their own broad Scottish accent, and it's just it's nice to hear that. I think. Yeah, definitely. I just I've, you need something that for me makes you unique and gives you a, a differentiator. Um, but not only that, you said mentioned someone that played for East Fife, so I think we can we could maybe milk it and wing it and say, you know, I did play in that charity game way back with Lee. Oh no! When we did play against Kenny Duca. <laughs> And we got pumped about 15-1, but uh, remember that, Lee? Yeah, we were the best two players in the park that day. <laughs> he never stops talking about it. <laughs> Honestly. I think I, I got I'm... nutmeg, but there's a picture of me and Gordon Jury, and I, and I think I got nutmeg, but I always say, you know, it catches the right moment. It's like, you know, that's definitely me doing a Cruyff turn against Jury. But... <laughs> <laughs> in the chat that we had with Kenny, you know, you're going to hear it on Sunday. It absolutely rinses me a new one from start to finish in that podcast. It, it absolutely destroyed me. And I was saying my memories of that game was, I'm going, I'm going to meg you. And I went, what is it? I'm going to meg you. Literally touched it and put it right through my legs. Absolutely. Yeah, I, just, I just think, you know, watching them that game, it was like I've never seen, obviously we weren't putting pressure on them when the ball was going in the box, but I've never seen anybody header a ball so accurately in my life. It was just every header top corner. And I think we had the keeper from like the youth team and goals for us, and he just had like no chance every time. Yeah, I'm sure it was Andy Collier that was the goalkeeper. <laughs> he's got his own goalkeeping skill now, but aye, he, he wasn't what to keep out the Joker's headers. But anyway, back, back to your music. That's yeah. what we're here for. Today. I, I mean, yeah, you touched there on like musical influences. Like, who were you listening to when you were growing up? Who who's the bands or the artists that inspired you? Um, so there's a, a vast range in the sort of, I would say the sort of indie or the, the alternative genres. So current musicians would obviously say Jerry Cinnamon, The View. I loved, uh, I loved The View. And Paolo Nettini, uh, Stone Roses, um, The Jam. And people just like Tom Petty. I could, I could go on for hours and just, just list and name them. Glass Vegas, I used to listen to them quite a lot too. Um, so yeah, there's a, a massive list. Well, good to have the jam in there, especially considering AFTN's named after a jam B-side. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, when I when I you know when I was playing the pubs, etc., that was one of my sort of feature songs on the night was the jam. That's entertainment. That one of the ones that just seemed to go down so so well. So yeah, more of an English band, but yeah, I I do love them. They've got some uh, great hits and great songs. There you go. So you know, it's it's great to see a, a Fife fan with some talent, but. How does it feel to know that you're always going to be behind a Tony in terms of attractiveness, attractiveness <laughs> and pecking order in terms of Tony's favourite children? Uh, I don't even know if I can answer that one. <laughs> I, alluded to the, I alluded to the fact that I was going to pull you up on that today. It was going to be very uh, difficult not to, I'm sorry. But all joking aside, um, is the end goal a concert at Bayview? Well, you know, I'd say number two would be a sold at Hamden Park and then number one would be a sold at Bayview. Everybody there. So, um, no, in all seriousness, it's a, for me, it's a case of getting, you know, this single out hopefully at the end of the month. And then I've got, sort of, I would say, an album's worth of material that we're, we're recording at the moment. So I'm, I'm looking to get two singles out this year. So to see what happens from those, um, get a bit of buzz, get a bit of following. But, yeah, you always dream of uh, sold at venues like Bayview. But, again, that's long term. There's a lot of, what long way to go, but obviously if Jim Stevenson's listening, then he can phone my agent and we can get it sorted out. 
You'll be pleased to know, actually, Jim, that I am Phil's agent. I've been getting <laughs> some people to get his music released. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a, a fairly modest cut, a discount on my sponsorship board for, for next season, perhaps. But yeah, um, no, all, joke, <laughs> all joking aside, mate, it's, it's been great to have you on. Um, good luck with the single. I really, really like it. It's, it's been growing on me. I've been singing it pretty much all week now. So, is definitely going to be one that I think that our listeners will like and our fans will relate to. But just before you go, do you want to tell listeners where they could find you online? Um, yeah, so online, my three main social media pages at the moment. So Instagram, it's PG Charletta. Facebook, um, my music or artist account on Facebook is also PG Charletta. And on Twitter, my account is at PG Charletta. So that's where you'll find me. So that's- give me a follow. That's fine. I'll, we'll definitely we'll tweet out your link when the, the podcast goes live on Sunday. But that's pretty much it. Um, we hope you enjoy Phil's new single. And here it is. Phil Charletta, PG Charletta, Mr. East 5 with The Sesh. You never overdose 
So that was Phil Charletta with his debut single, The Sesh. And now it's time for this week's Who Are You? So I'm rather disappointed with um, last week because I thought I would throw out a red herring that nobody was going to get. And absolutely everybody got it right without sending the answer. <laughs> so a little, little bit gutted. Um, did you eventually figure out who it was, Michael? Well, yeah, but only because you told me. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have go. got that in a million years, I've got to say. So there you go. The answer, um, had you not sent it to me and guessed it was Gareth Wardlaw. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with how, how quick people managed to get that. I think... As per usual, Scott Young was first and Liam Anderson not long after. But, yeah, I'm going to try another more difficult one this week. Um, I was a little bit late in um, getting this one prepared because I've had a pretty hectic week at work. So we're just going to dive straight in with question number one. So this gentleman was born on the 26th of November, 1978. Started his career at the massive club that is Ballingry Rovers. Eventually got his move into senior football in 2003 with Montrose. He played for two Fife clubs in East Fife and Cowdenbeath. He then, after playing at Cowdenbeath, dropped back into the juniors playing for Ballingry, Hillebeath Hawthorne, Ballingry again. And finally ended his career in 2015 and 2016. The last question, um, the last clue, sorry, that I'm going to give for you is that he's a centre forward. So let's see if you can guess who this gentleman is. So now time for another one of our popular segments. It's time to put your feet up, take out your pipe, get yourself a cup of coffee, tea or a warm hot beverage and find out if Greg McDonald likes a chocolate digestive. So you're sitting at home, 
you decide to have a hot beverage. Do you have a tea, a coffee, or something else? Uh, coffee. And are you a biscuit fan? No. No, uh, in fact, yeah, I'm just, I've said that and now I'm like, actually, yeah, I'll stop lying. Um, oh, I'm a biscuit fan, yeah, but I'm just trying to think what's my favourite biscuit because that's the next question, isn't it? Aye. Um, what's my favourite biscuit? Jeez, it's a hard question. You need to come back to me. I like, a, I do like a bit of galaxy, like just a bit of chocolate, something like that. So, yeah, coffee. And are you a dunker if you do have something with your coffee? Eh... Uh, Aye, I would, I would dump, dunk a wee bit of Galaxy in it, aye, as well. Aye, it goes nice and soft and creamy. Yeah, aye, I would have that. But I like the Galaxy being in the fridge. I'm quite specific about that. My wife hates it. So. Sorry, they, that was the hard. They were the hardest question. <laughs> they were really difficult. Jeez, oh. They were, I, yeah, I'm a bit in the headlights there. I know, I, I was. I'm like, shit, what do I normally have? I know, I'm thinking, how do you do... How how were you with the media when they were asking you questions if you can't answer what your favourite biscuit is? No, I, normally, it's, normally it's fine, you know. It's just talking about goals and that type of thing and poor refereeing decisions, but not when you're getting into, like, you know, really tough things like, what's your favourite biscuit? Like, Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Even though it sounds suggestive. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? So that was Greg McDonald that is partial a little bicky, but you know, just like his his usual chatty self, kept his cards a little bit close to his chest there, Mike. Yeah, he he did say it was uh, the toughest question that we'd asked him during the whole interview, which made me laugh, really. But <laughs> So we've talked new signings. We've talked fixtures. We've heard new music. We've discussed chocolate digestives and other biscuits. And that's all been building up to this week's feature interview. And it's one that we've been looking forward to since we started doing the podcast. It's with a player who, when we were drawing up all the names of who we really wanted to get on the show to to chat with, he was one of the first names down on the team sheet. Just like when he played for East Fife, he was one of the first names down on the team sheet. It's a man that spent a couple of seasons at Bayview, but in that short time, he had such an impact on the club, such an impact with the fans, he's been voted in to the all-time East Fife greats. And when you think of him, you think about the goal. In American football, people still talk about a catch that was made in the 80s by Dwight Clark of the San Francisco 49ers. It's referred to as the catch. If I say the goal, I think you know what I mean. Kenny Duker's last minute winner that earned his five promotion. It still brings the hairs up in the back of my neck thinking about it, watching the video. It does that with the man himself. And that's just one of the many things we talk about in a very entertaining and enjoyable two-hour chat. So grab your favourite hot beverage, a chocolate digestive, sit back, put your feet up and enjoy our chat with the good doctor himself, the one, the only, Kenny Duker. So I'm delighted now to say that we are joined by a legend of East Fife, a man that scored one of the most dramatic goals in East Fife's history, or at least certainly this century. 
He played with us just for a couple of seasons, left a long-lasting memory, got so many goals. It's the good doctor himself, Kenny Duker. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Hi, thanks for having me on. of You're My Duker, no? <laughs> I come on, what do you have? You are my Duker, my <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Duker. Duker. Hey, you make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> We certainly did Johnny Smart when we did his, so it's, yeah. maybe it's becoming tradition. But, but he, he deserved it. Oh, I think you deserved it as well. He, uh, yeah. uh, he was a bit of a Fife legend after, after my time, as you know. I was yeah. a few uh, games, uh, a promotion playoff uh, game. and aye. Good player. Yeah, although, I mean, obviously, you went to Gretna, he went to Balingri, so I think he was probably on a bigger pay deal when he went to Balingri, the way that things were going. Aye, aye, bigger club, yeah, fair play <laughs> Right, what we're going to do today, we're going to go through your career at East Fife, elsewhere in Scotland, stuff in England, obviously over in Major League Soccer, that fascinates me, we're going to come to that a little bit later. But we've been starting a lot of these interviews, just talking about the the lockdown and what it's been like for people. Now, obviously, as a doctor, you haven't been locked down. You've been on the front line of all of this. And I mean, what what's it been like for you? It was getting built that it was going to be like the ICUs were all going to be packed and the emergency rooms were, were going to be done over. We've seemed to have done pretty well in Scotland, but has it been a, a pretty rough and busy time for you overall? Um, I think it. I, I I said at the beginning, me and my wife talked about it, and um, I felt as if we were in a kind of fortunate position because we didn't really have any concern about our our jobs, our uh, livelihood, um, and we didn't really have any of the you know um, the time to think about it. Um, it, it our job just continued as kind of. Um, as it was, I mean, obviously a lot changed in how we were having to uh, do our job and there was a there was an awful lot of stuff for us to be um, learning and things were changing all the time and there was a lot of uncertainty and patients were anxious and we were having to reassure and maybe something that we told patients uh, one week was uh, different from what the advice would be the next week so it was difficult I suppose to keep on top of everything but I think in general terms we were fortunate that we just got on with the day job and as I say there wasn't too much time to, to think about it. it was it was more just just get just get on with things so um, I kind of feel as if we, we were quite fortunate. Yeah it's been not too bad over here in in British Columbia as well. We're having a, a few little spikes and in, in stuff at the moment. But I mean, overall, I think Scotland and Canada has really dealt with it pr- pretty well. So we're going to delve into your, your footballing side of things now. So if I was to ask you, what's your earliest memories of like playing football? And when did you know that you had what it took to, to make it in the pro game? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think... Uh... I started playing football in the boys' brigade, and uh, really, I, I had no idea. I mean, when you're a wee boy, 
you want to play for Scotland, you want to play in the World Cup with Scotland. And at the time when, when I was growing up, Scotland were getting to the World Cup finals and, uh, and all the rest of it. So, but I, I don't think I thought about it uh, seriously. Honest, I, I don't think I ever thought that I was good enough to uh, play professionally. And, and maybe that's uh, one of the reasons that I had a somewhat successful career that I never really felt as if I was good enough and always felt that I had to uh, prove people wrong um, wherever, I, wherever I went. So I, I don't know if I, if I ever realised, right, I'm good enough to be a professional, but that kind of maybe kept the, the drive going to... to keep going and just be, um, make myself as, as, as good as I could possibly be. When did you know then that you wanted to go into medicine and to be a doctor? And when you made that decision, did you always think you would be able to juggle both careers? Um, I think when I was younger, I was reluctant to commit to say, I'm going to be a doctor because... My dad was a GP. Now he didn't. We didn't come from a line of GPs. Like my grandpa was a plumber. My my other papa, he was a he was an electrician. My dad was kind of the first the first doctor. But I still kind of felt the pressure eh, growing up where he was the the GP um, and being known as eh, Doctor Duker's son, and eh, there was a lot of pressure on on me. I suppose to following his footsteps. So I think that when I was younger, I was never prepared to say that I wanted to be a doctor because I was I was scared that I wouldn't get the, the grades to be able to mm. uh, do that. I think it was when uh, I was in my fifth year and uh, a, a school teacher challenged me in the in the corridor in front of a lot of my peers and some teachers and I hadn't done so well in my my prelims but I wasn't going to let her get one over on me and she was like <laughs> um, yes and she like outed me in front of everybody oh, that I didn't do well in my, my prelims and, and all the rest and in front of everybody I just turned around and for some reason, I went, don't, don't you worry, Miss Huxtable. I'll peak at the right time. And uh, for that, for saying that, I was like, oh, my God, that I've, I, I've got to like, get my head down here. I cannot show my face again if I didn't do it this year in the proper exams. So I suppose maybe that one moment was a, a bit of a turning point for me. And then... Once I got the grades uh, that were required, I could say, I want to be a doctor, uh, da-da, <laughs> um, because um, I, I had what I needed. But before that, I was a wee bit reluctant to, to commit. So, I mean, when you were growing up then, like, did you go and watch any specific teams? And or who was your footballing hero that kind of really got you interested in being a player? Um. So uh, when when I was we the 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 team that were really good when I remember first starting watching apart from watching Scotland, 
uh, I think the very first game, the very first two games that I went to um, were uh, Scotland, Scotland against England and Scotland against Brazil. So, but spoils this day, but round about that time as well, Dundee United were doing very well. I saw so Dundee United were getting to the, the UEFA Cup final. And I kind of took Dundee United as my team. And I think, like, where I live, it's like Celtic or Rangers. And my best pal was Falkirk. And I was like, I don't know what I'd be like everybody else. I'm, I don't know how I'd be like against him type thing. Or, and I didn't want to support Celtic or Rangers. So I kind of picked Dundee United. My dad took me to a few games. I pestered them to take me to a few games. I went to the... Uh, I think it was the 1991 Cup final where they got beat 4-3 for, for Motherwell. Mm. Um, other other kind of games that I would go to, I would go to Falkirk games because my, my, my mate was a Falkirk season tickled and his dad was a commercial manager there. So um, I would get in for free to the Falkirk games. My dad took me a few Stenish Muir games in that. Like there was one, uh, they had a brilliant run in the Scottish Cup, I think it was Adrian Sprott. I mean, he's famous, I think, for scoring for Hamilton against yeah. Rangers. Uh, but he scored two goals for Stenish Muir against Aberdeen and knocked Aberdeen out of the, the Scottish Cup. And I remember, like, Oakle View being totally packed for that and, and then the, the subsequent game when uh, Stenish Muir hosted uh, Hibs. So that was kind of back at that time. But also, when I was when I was younger, so I was Dundee United and... Uh, my mate's dad, was, as I said, was the commercial manager at Falkirk. And he said to me one time, Falkirk were playing uh, against Dundee United midweek. And he was like, right, I'll, we'll, we'll just come in here, Dundee United. So I had the full Dundee United kit, like top, shorts, socks and that. He's like, just come and we'll just go to the changing room. I'll take you to the changing room and we'll just ask if you can go as their mascot at Brockville. So Dundee United mascot at Brockville. And I was like, right, right, fine, that, that sounds amazing. But I was like worried that they were going to say no, right? So um, he took us along the, the corridor at, at Falkirk and he, he chaps the door when I, I think it was like, it might have been Jim McLean, like doing the team talk. <laughs> and uh, they, they took me in, they took me in. Morris Malpass was the captain. He was like my absolute hero. And he took me onto the pitch for the warm-up and I was like, I was warming up Guido van de Camp, the, the goalkeeper and everything. And that was amazing. And uh, then he'd said to me, right, when, when you're finished being the mascot for uh, Dundee United, just come in and we'll give you like a Falkirk track. Well, it was shell suits at, it was shell suits at the time. That's, that's the time period. And uh, he gave me a Falkirk shell suit. So I've went out to be a ball boy, a Falkirk ball boy, right? So I'm standing behind the, the goals at Hope Street. And uh, I could hear folk like shouting, and I was like, "I think they're." I must only be like twelve or thirteen, like maximum. I was like, "They're." I think they're shouting at me, right? And it was abuse. And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and uh, I've looked down, and my bright orange socks, like there was like that much in my bright orange socks showing <laughs> underneath the the folk at Tracky. Eh? So I was I was outed in front of the the a packed Hope Street end and and Dundee United actually won like three one easy game uh, that day. So I was getting pelters the whole game. 
Jeez. Oh, Did you celebrate when Dundee United scored? I, was, I wasn't even celebrating. Well, I was, I, I, I was trying not <laughs> Did you know that Morris Malpass is Greg McDonald's uncle? Uh, no, that is absolute news to me, or I would have arranged, I would have been at him to get a meet-up or something, because other than the, that, that mascot time, which he would never remember, uh, but it's like obviously one of my like vivid memories from football when I was wee. Um, but uh, I think I briefly spoke to him maybe when he was assistant manager at, at Motherwell, just like shaking hands after a game or whatever. But he was he was on the same flight as us going to Florida on Virgin Atlantic, like quite a few years ago now. And I've seen him, and I'm like, oh my god, I, like. I need to speak to him. I need to speak to him. I was like starstruck. I was like, and this was like after my career was finished. Like I was like, oh my god, and I I, I couldn't build up the courage to like go up to him and like speak to him. And I I, I probably regret I probably regret that. Eh? But um, I mean, we'll get Greg to sort something out for you then. I know. I know. Well, there you go. There I, I'll need to go on him. Now you know how I felt when I seen you that day at Pizza Hut in, in Falkirk, Kenny. Both teams spoke to you, did I know? Uh, probably. That's what I'm saying. But I was like, now you know how I felt. I was like, oh, was like just talk to him. Just talk to him. And I was like... <laughs> Big time the same, definitely. And she was, my wife was like, I bet you bring that one up. I was like, definitely. That was the highlight of my night. And I went to see Kevin Bridges that night. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, remember, I remember that. I remember that. That was when we were on our way to but... We'll, we'll take you on to the, the football side of things now and, and not me being starstruck, but obviously you started your career at Falkirk and then you got your big move when you came to us, but you played 24 games in three years and scored one goal, but you obviously broke both your legs. So apart from breaking your legs, what are your, your memories of your time at Falkirk? Um, the, the bench. As I, good as I that. Knew the bench. I knew the bench really, 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 really well. Yeah. Um, and, and the treatment room. Um, I was. I actually broke the same leg uh, twice within uh, ten months. Um, Apart from your your time at the treatment room in, in Falkirk, which I'm probably guessing is what really inspired your medical career, you got your move to East Fife. How did that come about? Was it just a case of your time was coming to an end at Falkirk and you just sort of put your name out there, or, or how did that move happen? So at the time, so I had been at Falkirk for four years with a couple of leg breaks, but the, the leg breaks were kind of in the history. I'd had, I'd had a season and a half where I was like a proper squad player, but I suppose I was never, I was never training with Falkirk. So I, wasn't, I, was, I was in Dundee, I was training with like say like Forfa and uh, Arbroath, I was like, I was, I was a nuisance when I was there pretty much, because I wasn't a their player. Um, I was a Falkirk player. I would turn up for Falkirk on a Saturday, and I would hope that I got named on the bench, basically. And then I was hoping that I got a, a chance to get on the, on the pitch. So I never started many, many games. The, the, when, when it came to the end of the, the uh, 2001, 2002, uh, uh, I was the 2001-2002 season. I was cheap as anything. So, like, I was a squad player. And, like, sometimes 
teams will keep players ruined because they're cheap and you know you know what they can do, blah blah blah. And 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 obviously I was I was dirt cheap at the time, and but Alex Totten was leaving, and they were getting Ian McCall in as the new manager. Now Jim Moffat had been on at me because he was a goalkeeping coach at uh, Forfa. So I had been training at Forfa and uh, he knew me for there. And he had uh, basically offered me £20 a week to come and play for East Fife. And I was desperate to go East Fife because I was like, right, I need to, I need to play regularly. Um, but I still hadn't heard the word for Falkirk as to whether I was, like, my contract was up. But I was under 24, and they could have commanded a fee for me. And East Fife wouldn't have taken me if there was any fee. So if I had said to Falkirk, if they'd wanted to sign me and I'd said, I'm no signing, they'd have been like, well, we're holding your registration. And a team would have had to have paid for me. So I was, I was just, like, staying quiet. I was hoping that Ian McCall was going to come in and just say, um, you're released. And he actually phoned me and he was like, can you come into the, uh, into the stadium? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm in Dundee. And I got the feeling that he just wanted to date the right way. I think he wanted to speak to me face to face and tell me face to face that he was going to release me. And I said to him on the phone, I was like, look, um, see if you're going to release me. Just tell me on the phone because um, I, I'm, I'm in Dundee. I, I, I'm... I'm no one to come down to Falkirk for you to tell me that I'm, I'm released. That would be a wasted journey. Um, but if you want to sign me, obviously, <laughs> tell, tell me on the phone as well. But I got the feeling that he, that he wanted to release me. So he says, I, I'm really sorry I'm, I'm releasing you. And I was like that. Oh. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I had it all lined up. But I was worried that even though I wasn't a regular player, I was really cheap and young and they could have sat me on the bench and made up the numbers. That was what I was worried about. Um, but then fortunately enough, obviously, that was the only offer I had. Um, I, I, wasn't a, I hadn't really shown anything by that point that uh, anybody would have seen me. So I was lucky, I suppose, that I had been at Forfa and Jim Moffat, who was a goalkeeping coach in there, had just got the manager's job uh, the back end of the season uh, um, before before I signed, obviously. So, you spent two seasons with East Fife, scored 31 goals in 66 games, which is an unbelievable return. You were absolutely adored by the fans. You were inducted into our all-time greats. Fans wearing Juker on the back of their shirts, which I'm sure you'll remember fondly, but... Juker 89. Is it <laughs> somebody some... had, I'm sure somebody had Juker 89 on their back after that goal that I'd scored oh brilliant yeah, so no, I I that. no 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 that's, that's well worth being interrupted for so what are your overriding memories of your time at East Fife then well I'll, obviously I'm a striker so I'm going to correct you and I'm going to say that I remember scoring 36 goals for East Fife oh, 24 24 in the first season and 12 in the second season. So you've done me out of five goals there. 
sorry, Kenny. My apologies. You, you, you don't argue with God, eh? So I've just put my hands up. You probably saw the I was probably at every game, to be honest, but I didn't keep a tally mark, I'll be honest with you. I had to go to Wikipedia for my facts, so I'll ensure that that's edited post haste after the interview. No. <laughs> I know, I'm not happy with that. Sorry, mate. Do you want me to recut that? <laughs> you, you, no, 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 because I, I think you, you, you need to up your game. I think that <laughs> the listeners need to, need to know and hold you accountable. I agree. <laughs> That's fine. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kenny, and I'll just take off this. <laughs> <laughs> I've had half a minute of prayer now. It's game over. Wait, so what was the question? <laughs> You're too busy correcting me to even listen. <laughs> so, what's, what's your overriding memories of your time at East Fife, apart from being a wido, uh, your biggest fan? Uh, <laughs> well, I think the first year was obviously incredible. Um, I think we had the second or third lowest budget in the league. Guys were on like 20 quid a week. Um, and uh, we were basically leading the whole way. I, and Morton were full time at the time. Um, so, I mean, to be a part of that was uh, pretty incredible. Um, there, I've, I've still got pals that team that I'm in touch with um, and that just really goes to show what an incredible team and team spirit that we had and what made it um, even more extra special was that my cousin played in that team and uh, was the captain of the team and he had played for years and years for East Stirling and he was always somebody that uh, I looked up to. He was actually my dad's wee cousin, uh, Gordon Russell. And to share that season with my big cousin was absolutely incredible as well. Um, and the obviously everybody knows uh, how it um, how it finished. And from a personal point of view, I couldn't have wrote this script any any better. Apart where no, I could have, because we could have won the league, um, and I think we should have won the league. That's the only thing that would have made it better. But I'll take it. <laughs> I'll I'll be honest with you, and I've said this countless times so far. I've never heard a noise at Bayview like that day, and I mean, I, I go on to say this in, in my questions down the line, and I've I, I must have sent you that video about a hundred times when I've had a drink, and that goal going in and. You know, talk to me about the the goal because. Aye. Well, you're you're talking you are talk you're talking about that, yeah. with like a fan's perspective, and the hairs in the back of my neck are standing up because, yeah. man, I've watched that video numerous times, and I used to use that video before games for like the rest of my career to like using sports psychology to before I went out. I would watch that video. I would watch that video like every before every game, um, and I would use that before I went out onto the pitch. So I would be taking a bit of time to myself in the dressing room before we go out, and like remembering the feeling of when that goal went in and the reaction, and that was how I was going out onto the 
on the pitch. So like that that goal was such an important thing for for the rest of my career. But you, at the time, I think the game the game was kind of it was kind of just drifting, and I mean I don't even remember too much about uh, about it other than I remember they got a man sent off and. They were doing it ten men, and that gave you a wee boost. And uh, maybe once, even when it wasn't happening, then it, you, you started to think, "Oh my God, it's not going to happen." Because you know they're doing it ten men. We should really be uh, scoring here, but you never give up. And I think for the whole season, I think we we hadn't have given. There was a game at Gretna where we came back for two 0 down. Um, at half time, when we were one three two with two goals, one in the last minute, one in the one in injury time, and what what we I think it's important to mention that we we four games to go. Um, we knew we I think we had Peter Head, Morton, and then the last two games. We knew that if we won the last two games, regardless of what happened, we would get promoted. But we. Let it slip. I got injured in uh, the uh, the Morton game. I got a, a basically my eye like closed, uh, and I had to come off before half time. In that game, we lost that one nil. I was struggling. My eye was still like this when we played the the Peterhead game. That didn't go well. We lost that game. But Jim Moffat. He, before the last two games, we, we knew that still if we won the last two games, we would definitely be promoted and we still had a chance to win the league. And basically we didn't train like on one of the nights both weeks. And he brought my dad in, right, because my dad does uh, hypnosis, right? And my dad did a session with us um, before the... Uh, the East Stirling game and he did a couple of demos about like positive thinking and it was like my celebration for that goal at the end was like my hands went out like this and it was like a it was a demo that my dad had done about channeling your your mind and not like letting anybody break this like rod that was through your arms type thing we also we also played pitch and putt one of the training nights as well. So I think all the work had been done and then all the manager did before those two games was bring us all together. Yeah. And we hammered East Stirling and uh, then going into the last game, we were, we were just all together. So I, I'm no surprised that we all kept going and we got that goal. But... For all I get the plaudits, that was it was totally all about, you know, everything that went on in those two weeks and the whole season really, and about the type of guys that we had in that team that was just never ever give up. I mean that when you're thinking about the ball, I think it's is it Gordon Love that plays that pass to you? It's like a diagonal ball right through. And you turned that into a goal, and even reflecting back at it now, I still don't know how it went in, but what's coming to your mind? Is it just hit it, or is it...? No. <laughs> so, so Michael, Michael Hall plays a big, long pass. Yeah. And I don't know how Gordon Love's managed it. He's got a chest on it, and then he's just hooked it kind of into the middle. Yeah. 
And I saw the goalkeeper coming out like with his two hands, as if he yeah. was going to like catch it like this. Yeah. And if you're listening, you'll not see what I'm doing, but he came out <laughs> with two hands facing up the way to try and catch it. And I actually like went for it with my right foot and I was thinking, right, I'm just going to dink this over him, right? And then I'm going to hit it in. So yeah. I was thinking, right, I'm just need to get it over his hands. I'm just going to, I'm going to get there before him. I just need to lift it over his hands. And I took a bad touch and it flew into the net. <laughs> You're not meant to admit that. That's, that's true. I actually, I tried, I, I, was, I was trying to, I was like, oh no, he's going to get there before him. I just need to lift it over him. And it just flew into the net. And I was like, oh well, there you go. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, I'll take it. So there we go. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if this is going to be a glory days of gold exclusive. I, Kenny Duker's bad touch gets us promotion. I've, I've said that. I've said that before. I've said that before. Hey, it must have been the adrenaline because it actually flew off my foot. It's either a terrible touch or it's a great finish. Great finish. We'll go for the latter. We'll go for the latter. So, I mean, obviously you've said yourself there that you, you listen, that you were watching that before you played in some of your games to, to sort of G you up. So where does that rank in the favourite goals that you've scored then? Well, that's the best. That that's the best goal. That's like the 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 um, the best feeling. Like there isn't really anything to rival that. I think it was the, I think it was what it meant, and uh, the timing. Yeah, the, 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 there isn't really any way. Uh, like uh, the the Gretna goal that I mentioned in that season. So I, we were. I remember that. Doing, yeah. Paul Mortimer scored a scored a free kick, a deflected free kick, and it went in the injury time. And then I scored that and to come for like two 0 down, two one down with a minute to go and to win that three two, that was incredible. And 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 throughout my career you didn't often score goals like in the last minute, like in that kind of scenario. And I had two of them in the one season. <laughs> so um most of the goals I scored at Gretna, they weren't that, they weren't that important, eh? Like the only one I can think of that was particularly important, um, or I scored a couple, but well, winning the uh, quarter final of the Scottish Cup and the first goal right before half time in the semi final of the Scottish Cup. But there isn't really like timing wise, those East Fife goals, like and particularly the one that sealed promotion. I mean, the, 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 you can't really compare that to anything else that I've done. Yeah, I remember that Gretna game so so well, actually. I don't know if there's even any footage of that game or not, but yeah, that, was, that was a tremendous... Oh, I wish. Yeah. I wish there was footage of that game because that, that, goal, that goal that I scored, I, I tripped in the box and fell and managed to get myself up and then put it in. <laughs> I that was remember, a midweek game, wasn't it? No, it was a, it was Saturday. I was Saturday. It was definitely Saturday because we we um, uh, me and Jim Butter and Gordon Gilbert and uh, John Ovinson and maybe Ross Graham. We we went out in the Newcastle after that Saturday night. Newcastle for Gretna. Aye, that's a bit of a trick. <laughs> if you'd said Carlisle, that would have made more sense. I know, no, Jim Butter loved a night out in Newcastle. He was like trying to drag us there all the time, man. <laughs> well, let's talk about some other aspects of your, your time at East Fife because 
There were a lot of games, it was mentioned a lot at the time, that you were, you were working night shift at the hospital, then you would come and play for us, and you were excellent for us as well. How did you maintain those performance levels, or was it just that you were still on a bit of a high from, from work, that you just kind of carried that forward on at the pitch? Yeah, I think the honest answer is I, I have no idea. I, I think I did it five or six times, and I, if memory serves me right, there was only one of the times that I never actually scored, so I was probably better coming off a night shift than when when I wasn't. But that that second season, when I was caught, so that so the first season, the promotion season, I didn't have any of that to worry about. Okay. Um, I, I was at uni basically, and uh, that, that's like a that was basically Monday to Friday, so um, I didn't have any any issues with. Um, the that first season, but the second season was really, really challenging, and I probably I, I, I ended up with an injury, which was a, a like a niggling injury, but it was it was a tendonitis, it was a tendonitis in in both my feet, and I could hardly train for the last kind of three months of the season. I was in and out of the team because. I I couldn't actually play without it flaring up, and it was really difficult to to manage. Um, and that was a real that it, it, the the kind of end to my East Fife career was kind of um, severed by well relegation and uh, that injury because I, I just couldn't get going. And actually, when the season ended, I signed for Gretna. I was actually like shitting myself that. I, I I was going to go into pre-season and I was going to have to say I'm I'm injured. Like, um, but luckily the treatment was rest, and I did nothing before I went to Gretna pre-season. And when I went in, luckily when I started to do everything, it was away. So it was murder. It was it was actually murder when I was at uh, the last three months of that season. Was there ever a point? Whether it was at East Fife or Gretna or, or wherever, where when you are doing both football and you're doing the doctor stuff, did did you ever have a point where you were like, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna just have to give football up. Um, so when when I was at um, when I was at uni and I was young and uh, I was I was actually I was training with our growth for for I was getting into Falkirk to train whenever I had a, a morning off for uni. Um, I was going to the Olympia pool in Dundee, um, like at like seven, half seven in the morning, and swimming and uh, trying to work on my fitness uh, that way. Um, but that I went to when when it was when I was going into my fourth year, I went to speak to the professor of hematology. He was like the head of like fourth and fifth year at uni and I was at Falkirk at the time and he um, eventually became the dean of the medical school actually but I thought right I'm going to go to him I'm, I'm, I'm at a good level here like I'm playing Scottish first division here I'm going to push on the uni was like big up on or uh, we're up for sport you get your Wednesday afternoon for sport there's nothing on in the medical school um, on a Wednesday afternoon, you're not timetabled for anything on a Wednesday afternoon. So I went in thinking, right, 
I'm playing way above university sport. I'm going to go in and ask the dean, can I do something on a Wednesday afternoon? And can I have a morning off sometime? So like a Friday morning or a Monday morning, and I could go to Falkirk and I could train with my full-time teammates. And I went into that meeting thinking, right, this is going to be a breeze, this is going to be fine. And he was completely negative and obstructive and not helpful at all. And he basically said to me, look, son, you are going to have to decide whether you want to be, whether you want to be a doctor or you want to be a football player. And like was like putting me down as if there's no way that you're going to be able to be a football player. Just concentrate on being a doctor. And I basically went away for that meeting. I was like, fuck you. Um, I'm, I'm just going to, like, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Because, like, people in my class were going out on a Wednesday night, because it was student night, getting hammered, and then they wouldn't make it in on a Thursday. And nothing was happening to them. And I was like, I'm, I'm like being like conscientious. I'm like trying to like do something like get here. I'm looking after myself, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my God, I, I was so angry. Um, and I basically just like when I'm never going back to anybody to ask for anything again. So when I got my, when I basically just, whenever I had to start a, a, a new block, I went, my clinical supervisor, I just said to them at the start, I was like, look, I'm a professional football player. I'm playing for Falkirk. Um, is there any chance that instead of being off on a Wednesday afternoon, I can come in on a Wednesday with you, or I'll come in on a Sunday. Like, I'll, I'll come in all day on a Sunday if you're on call, I'll be right next to you, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody, they were all fine. They were all mm. fine. And I was actually doing more. I was like, I was in on Sundays. I was like, uh, like the, the consultant's shadow on a Sunday. And I'm, I'm like the, the rest of the, the thing. But I, I got no help for the medical school whatsoever. Um, so I, I like I, I, that was at that time. I was thinking right. I'm I'm going for this as best I can. I'm I'm going to have as as good a go. But when I got to the end of my career, um, and I don't know if you wanted to speak about it later. But when when I got to towards the end of my career, I was at um, I was at Livingston. And I was back working full-time after that. So I was working full-time and then I was a part-time football player again. The manager changed at Livingston, which didn't suit me because I got on really well with Gary Bolin and they brought in John Hughes, who I had history with, my dad had history with. And I, I just basically went into the chair and I said, look, I need to leave. You need to get rid of me, put me out on loan. I, I, I can't play for this guy. Um, and uh, I don't think he would have wanted me to play for him anyway. But um, at that time, the Stennis Moore wanted me, um, and uh, so did uh, East Fife. And what the East Fife chairman, and I don't know if it was Sid Columbine or uh, um, at the time, I can't, I can't, I can't remember exactly. But they basically said to me, "We'll get you whatever you want, like three-year contract on like good money." And I thought back to the struggles that I had had with the travel and everything. 
when I was at um, East Fife in that second season, I thought it's no fair. It's no fair to me. It's no fair to East Fife um, because they were talking about giving me a lot of money, and I, 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 I basically said, no, I'm just going to go to Stennis Muir till the end of the season and see what happens. But by that time, I, I, I was kind of done with football. I was sore all the time. Like I had a family. I had. I had two kids by that time, and I, I had I, I probably shouldn't have even went to try and play at Stennis Muir. I probably should have just <laughs> retired when John Hughes <laughs> came into Livingston. Aye. When when you were on the pitch, were you ever called upon to have to like give medical advice? Did someone like say, "Oh, Duke's come over"? And you, what do you think of this? Or like, if a player was injured or something? Uh, normally, normally it was in the dressing room. Oh, I've got this rash. Or... <laughs> the, 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 do you know? Do you know when I was when I was younger that the, the um, one of my heroes and I had a poster of him up on my wall was a guy Steve Nichol, like played oh, left back Holland and, and Liverpool. Ah, he's went over. over ah, he's over here. Aye, when, I went, when I went over to America, he was he was the he was the head coach of New England Revolution. Aye. So we played them really early on in the in the, the the season, and I was on the the pitch warming up, and and the way that the uh, pitch was set up, that you came out the dressing rooms to behind the goals, and we warmed up in the closest half to those goals. So the other team, if we were out before them, they had to come walk right through us, basically. Steve Nichol came out and he walked, he, he came right up to me, and he and he went, "All right, big man." Blah blah blah. How are you enjoying it? Blah and like shake my hand, and he was like, "Oh, I've got this rash down below," and I was like, "That's not how I envisaged ever like meeting <laughs> one of my one of my heroes, uh, Steve Nichol, Ken." <laughs> but anyway, oh boy! Oh, but the, there was there was there was one occasion when I was with Livingston, and a guy got knocked out and uh, damaged a few of his teeth, and it was bleeding and all that, and I had to. Um, I had to make sure his, uh, his, he wasn't swallowing his tongue, basically. But that was only like a split mm. second before everybody else kind of came on and then he, he wasn't out for very long, but that was an opposing player. Um, but he was fine in the end, but he got knocked clean out by his own goalkeeper. Oh, interesting. Feel free to uh, not answer this one, but you've, you've said a couple of times about Yogi. What's the Yogi issues? We need to know now. Well, um, I, my dad had issues with players because my dad was the my dad was a club doc doctor at Falkirk um, and uh, he had issues over uh, player health and safety and uh, the he raised the concerns with um, the the chairman and uh, and and board basically and uh, they sided with um, with John Hughes um, and my dad was like, "Well, we 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 cannot um, we cannot be involved because it was a it was an issue that if 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 you were a, a doctor and you ignored it, then you 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 would you would be struck off for it." Ah, uh, okay. So that that's that that that's a that's a bottom line without going into too much detail. Oh, interesting. We obviously, to us, you're an East Fife hero. For anyone that's not an East Fife fan, I guess they probably think of you from your time at Gretna because of just what, what Gretna achieved. But how did you, I mean, you talked that you'd signed a pre-contract. 
how did you learn about Gretna's interest? And was it just like too good an opportunity to turn down? Because you talked about the travel to, to Bayview. Obviously, the tra- travel to Gretna is like horrendous. Aye, well, the, the difference was that I wasn't going to have to work full time um, and play for Gretna. So, um, basically, coming towards the end of that season, things weren't going very well. Obviously, I was injured and... Uh, and um, I, I suppose I, I, I suppose I was still in the mindset of before that I uh, I'm going to give this as good a shot. So I was I was looking at basically when I finished um, at East Fife, I was turning 24 in uh, July. So I was a free agent, no money, could change hands, I could move for free. I was also completing my. Uh, first year as a junior doctor, which gets me full registration with the GMC. So I had to complete that year before I could say, right, I'm, I'm going to put, that, put the medical career on hold. Right. Um, so it was kind of like a time that uh, was ideal for me to basically give it a go. And what my plan was, was my agent was uh, trying to get me trials. So I was planning on going into like first division team, Premier League team, and just like being like a, a nuisance that I'd been used to <laughs> at Forfar and our growth and just going in and just trying without getting paid, just to try and I was going to give it six months because I'd saved up money for the first year um, were you working as a, as a doctor and I'd, I'd purposely saved that money up to give me six months to Christmas to just train full-time football like, um, and, and give, it, give it a go to try and get a contract someplace, hopefully first division or Premier League full-time contract. Gretna, Gretna had seen me play, obviously, with East Fife, and uh, there was actually a case of mistaken identity in one of the games where Ross Graham scored, he maybe even scored a hat-trick, he scored two or three goals in one game, but the manager thought it was me. And I had scored in the other games against Gretna, but he also thought that that was me as well. So Gretna were desperate to like uh, sign me, and I probably, if I'm honest with myself, at the time, I took the easy option. So they were giving me enough money that I could, uh, I could live off. It wasn't great, but um, it was enough that I could live off. And uh, I was getting the opportunity to start at a lower level, which was an easier option, no doubt, and work my way up again. So... Uh, it, it just, um, I probably took the option. That wasn't my plan. I kind of, I, I, I maybe got pulled along with it. Wow, this, this like sounds like incredible. I remember your last game at Ockle View and you looked really upset at the final whistle. Was that just the emotions of, of moving on? Yeah, I think it was because we got relegated. Aye. <laughs> like, um, I, I, aye, I mean... That wasn't a good time at the end, and we obviously got relegated. We'd actually started that season really well. I think we were top of the league after the first quarter yeah. of the games. 
And uh, then we just we went into we went into free fall. Um, and obviously I was injured a lot of the, the like uh, back end of the, the season. I couldn't train and, and all the rest of it. So it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable and it was hard. I was like averaging fifty six hours a week at work and my work was in Stirling. The methyl was like an hour for there. It was it, it, it was not um it was not easy um at that time. So I it was it was a uh, it was not it was relegation, really. That was the that was probably why I was most upset. But um, I, I probably felt guilty as well that I wasn't able to contribute the way that I, I would have liked. Mm. So obviously, you went on to have pretty amazing success with Gretna. You played in the Scottish Cup final, played in the Premier League in front of some big big crowds. It must have been pretty amazing, considering obviously where Gretna started and, and not not going to say where you took them to, but where you went on the journey with them. I am well. I mean, the, the I, I mean, it, folk, folk will like talk talk down about it and all the rest of it. But well, nobody else has done it. Rangers couldn't run the leagues. Uh, we did it um, and spent a hell of a lot less money than than what Rangers did. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the first year. But see, after that, like even the Scottish Cup run. I mean, the Scottish Cup run was great, but the manager was trying to get me out of the team the whole season. I only, I only stayed in the team because the guy that was trying to replace me, we uh, broke his fibula. Um, like, I, I, I did not get on with that manager. He, he was an arrogant... Uh, he was just very arrogant, and it all went to his head, and uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't nice to be... And a, a player for basically, and uh, I uh, I handed in a transfer request um, when we were kind of in the, the first division, and uh, I'm quite proud of the fact that I handed in the transfer request two months before he was finally found yeah. out, um, and uh, he was ousted for for the um, for the team basically, well put on gardening leave. But I was I was short of that, but I was already at Northampton by the time that happened. But I'd put on the transfer request in the the beginning of December in anticipation because I, I I knew I wasn't like getting to play many more games if it, if if any, and I wanted everybody to know that hey, there was a falling out, and it wasn't because I was rubbish that I wasn't playing. Um, so I put in that transfer request, but I, I was I was training with the youth team in Penrith. I was commuting two hours every day uh, there and back, so it was four hours I was in the car every day training with the, the youth team in Penrith, and uh, I was uh, resigned to the fact that I was going to uh, see out the season like that until I was at work in the hospital because I used to work one day a week in the hospital on a Wednesday. And that happened to be transfer deadline day um, on that year in uh, 2007. And I got a text or a, a voicemail, maybe a voicemail for Mick Wadsworth, the director of football at the time, uh, phoned me. So I phoned him in between patients and he said, oh, um, Northampton Town want to take you on loan. I was like, Northampton Town, I've never heard of Northampton Town. Where is where is Northampton Town? And uh, 
what league do they play in? And he and it was League One, and I was like, oh right, it must it must be near Southampton if it's Northampton, but it's no. But um, <laughs> but basically, I went I went off the phone, I googled them, I looked at their website, and I was like, right, well, it's better than uh, it's better than sitting in the uh, training with the youths for the next three or four months. So um, I just basically drove straight for work on the Wednesday afternoon down to Gretna, signed my papers, grabbed my boots, back up to Denny, packed a bag, and then on Thursday morning I left and went down to Northampton. That was it. And I was in Northampton, but I was driving down to Northampton thinking, oh no, League One, I've bitten off more than I can chew here. I'm, <laughs> I'm not good enough to play in League One. Because I had never played at that level before, eh? So, um, I got down there and the, the manager was like a guy, Stuart Gray, and he was at Nottingham Forest with uh, Brian Clough and all that. He had, he had a pedigree, that manager, eh? And I was like, oh my God, oh no, I'm, I'm going to get found out here. And, uh, but right for the word go, I, I just, something clicked and uh, I just put everything I could into it and it, it like, it was really one of the best three months of football that I had in my career. Um, and uh, I was disappointed that I, I couldn't stay. Gretna wouldn't let me stay um, in the end up in Ireland instead, which was a source of frustration. So, after Northampton, I'm, I'm scared to say anything now in case you slaughter me because I've got it wrong. <laughs> You had uh, a brief but clinical loan, sp- uh, loan stint at St. Johnson, and I'm going to give a shout out to a, a good friend of mine, Greg Felk, because he's a huge saint, and he said that when you get Kenny Duker on, that's one I'll actually listen to, so hello, Greg. <laughs> um, and you had the chance, and you obviously went on to win the Challenge Cup, so uh, that was one of two stints at the Saints, is that right? Yes, so, um, aye, so initially what happened was I wanted to go to Northampton for the start of the 2000 and, uh, 2007-2008 season. But Grant had just been promoted into the Premier League and they were like, we need you for the Premier League. And Northampton were prepared to pay a loan fee or take me, blah, blah, blah. And I wanted that to happen. And I, I, I was like, I was basically saying to Gretna, I don't know why I'd be here. Like, I'm, I'm, I do not want to play for that, for this team, I do not want to be here, blah blah blah, and they would not budge on like, no, we need you, we need you, we're 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 keeping you, blah blah blah. So basically, the season started. I didn't have any option. Season started. They were saying that I was going to be an important part of the squad and all the rest of it. So the first four games in the Premier League, I think we lost every game, and I never started one of them. I was on the bench every time. I couldn't even get a game when they were losing, and then Davy Irons came to me and he said. Uh, St. Johnson wanted to take you on loan. And I was like, are, are you kidding me? Are you telling me now that I can go on loan to St. Johnston in the first division when I could have went to Northampton when we had finished mid-table in League One, the best finish that they had had um, in a long, long time and uh, someplace where I was wanted, and the, the fans were like dressing up as doctors every game and everything. Like, they, 
Like, they loved me doing there. And I, I couldn't be any more angry that I wasn't allowed to uh, go there. And then when they did that to me, I was, I was properly raging. So I'll be honest, the guy, if the St. Johnson fans listening, I said to David Arms, I was like, so, so are you saying that I can leave then, right? And it doesn't have to be St. Johnston. And he was like, well, I, and I was like, right, well, I'm phoning Northampton first because I'm not going to then like sign for somebody and then Stuart Gray at Northampton goes, what the, what on earth is going on here? Um, we, uh, we wanted to sign you. So I phoned him and he says, well, um, I would have loved to have had you, obviously, but I had to, because it's just coming up to the end of the transfer window, we had to make other arrangements and we signed somebody else and I've not got a budget to, um, to bring you down anymore. So I was like, I went back to David Adams and he was like, um, so do you, do you want to go to St. Johnson? And I was like, aye, of course I want to go to St. Johnson because I, I, I told you before, I didn't want to be here. So... I was delighted to leave. I was definitely disappointed that I wasn't in Northampton. But when I got to St. Johnston, it was absolutely amazing. Um, I went in there. Owen Coyle was the manager. There were some really good players. I played every week. I, they brought in a young boy to play alongside me who had been coming through the ranks. And the two of us in the time that we, we were there, uh, in like, I don't know, 12, 12 games or something, we'd scored 18 goals between us. Um, and we went on the run to the Challenge Cup. We won the Challenge Cup. I got man of the match in the Challenge Cup final. I essentially scored the winner in that game. I like, life couldn't be any better, like, uh, at St. Johnston. Absolutely loved every minute, every minute of it for those... Uh, those three months, but I had to go back to Gretna because it was an emergency loan and that expired before the transfer window. So I, 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 was, I was snookered basically that I had to go back there and they were doing terrible. Mm. And I, I said to Dave Evans, I was like, I didn't want to come back. I, 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 would rather, I would rather just stay and train with St. Johnston and sign with St. Johnston when the transfer window opens. And he was like, Oh, if you come back, because uh, they were desperately, they still thought that they could maybe escape relegation at the time. Oh, if you come back, because obviously I'd done amazing, if you come back, you'll play every minute. I promise you, you'll play every minute. And I went, well, that's all right. I, I, if, if that's like set in stone that I'm going to play every minute in the Premier League, if I go back, from a personal point of view, if I go back and score some goals for Gretna, and my confidence was like like sky high at the time. Then I, I'm I'm going to put myself in a real good position here if I can show people that in a bad team I can score goals in the Premier League, and it worked out that way, thankfully. So the the whole Gretna story, I was actually because because we're obviously talking to you today. I dug out that BBC documentary that they made uh, a different league. So I was watching that last night because I, I had it on my computer. And I, I was like, where's Kenny? I don't see Kenny in it. Because I knew you'd left halfway through the season and I couldn't understand why you weren't in the first half of the vid- of the, the documentary. Obviously, that explains why. But, I mean, the whole Gretna story, it was bizarre. It was also a bit of a, a fairy tale. Folk have said it's like Brooke Mileson. He was on an eagle trip. But 
he had a dream. If I had that money and I could put that into East Fife, I'd do something like that with, with East Fife. But when you were sold that dream, did you ever think you would go and like play in a cup final or get championship trophies? Is that what you expected? No, because I, I originally signed a two-year contract because I was saying to myself, I'm going to get this two years. But then they, 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 um, they forced me into signing another extension for another extend that by two years. So it was like four years because at the end of the third division, like my stock was high, but I still had another year in my contract. The team was so good, like, and so above the level of even the second division. If I hadn't signed that contract, then I would just wouldn't have played in the second division. They just, they had the, they had the ability to be like, well, we've, we've got plenty of other players that we, and they were, they were, he was, he was trying to get me out of the team anyway, that manager. Aye. So they had the, 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 they kind of backed me in a corner to sign that, uh, that contract. That there was, I had interest at the time for, for Wolves. Oh, um, wow. And, uh, but I didn't know about it until um, I went to Northampton because the, the Stuart Gray was at Wolves as a coach when, um, when I was kind of scoring the goals at Gretna. So, that was part of the reason I ended up in Northampton, I think, because he had been involved in scouting me for Wolves. And, well, I don't know if he was just, um, like, blowing smoke on Mars or trying to, like, give me confidence or whatever, but he, he told me, and it could have been, it could have been, because when I went to Northampton, he's wanted to be the, me be the best I can be. But he told me that, um, uh, basically, Wolves had the decision, they were due to the decision of whether to sign me for a fee and my wages or to re-sign a guy called Carol Court, who was at Wimbledon and was quite injury prone after that. And uh, he hardly played for Wolves, I think. And they basically decided to re-sign Carol Court. Now that's what um, Stuart Gray told me. So as I say, I don't know if he was like just trying to say you are you're even better than than League One Northampton, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going out there, I'm this is going to be easy. Like I'm going to score all these goals for Northampton in League One because my manager believes in me and thinks that I'm I'm better than this. So maybe he was like playing the psychology with me, but that's why that's what he told me, and uh, I suppose it's it's a difficult story to make up. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, That's I the mean, one that got away. Well, you went to play at a much higher level because you headed over to, to the US to, to play for Real Salt Lake in, in Major League Soccer, which was, I moved over here in 2007. So then you'd come over 2008 and I was like, oh, Kenny's over here playing in MLS. That's fantastic. But it seemed kind of quite left field at the same time as well. How did that move come about, and what did you make of your time, like living in, in Utah? Because it's a it's a very unique state, to put it nicely. I uh, have you have you listened to any other podcasts that I've done recently? Do you know no. the story? No. Right. So, um, so basically, when I when I'd uh, when I'd went back to Gretna for St Johnston. And they promised me that I could uh, that I could 
like play every minute. I had basically made a gentleman's agreement with Brooks as well that if I, if something really good came along, he wouldn't stand in my way. Now that was kind of all that was said, right? So I took that as a green light to be like, right, I'm going to find something good, right? So I felt at the time my agent wasn't doing anything. So um, he was like, just just uh, stick in at uh, Gretna, score some goals, and then if you score goals, I'll get you a move to another Premier League club um, at the end of the season. So I was like, right, I'm, 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 I'm no putting all my eggs in one basket. And I, actually, I didn't really want to stay past January. So uh, I want to be here for as little time as possible. So I started, uh, I, I got my pal to make out like a highlight video. So I had the Challenge Cup final, which was a good game for me. I had basically the goals for St. Johnston. I had goals I'd scored at Northampton. There was a game live on Sky that I played with Northampton. I had the, the footage for that. I got David Tanner and that to get me footage for Sky the Scottish Cup games and such like you know, all my goals. So I put together like a highlight thing because at the time, that time, it wasn't a, you, there wasn't all these like team uh, YouTube channels and like mm. highlights for every game. Like it was hard. Like I had Gretna highlights on VHS tape. That's how, that's what it was like back then. Like I had highlights that needed transferred from VHS tape to to CD, and then it was hard to upload things on a um, websites. So a guy had to put a set up a website for me, and then upload this uh, CD highlight reel um, on it for me. So once I had that sorted, I started emailing like every team I could think of. And I, I wasn't I wasn't going like top end like I was going like Germany like the third tier of the, like, Bundesliga 3 and 2 and sending it to all them. And I translated it into German, like, my CV, I translated it into German and then I was sending it to all the Austrian teams and I translated that, although they kind of speak German anyway. Switzerland, I was, like, trying, like, the French leagues and I was translating it into French and all the rest of it. And I sent it, I sent it to... Um, all the teams in Australia and all the teams in uh, MLS. So I sent it everywhere. And uh, I basically, what I did with MLS was that their website was a bit different. And the when I looked online, it was there was some like email addresses for like front office staff, like admin right. administrators. Yeah. I'd be like John John Smith at realsaltlake.com. And I was like, right, I'm, I'm just going to start typing in the manager's name at realsaltlake.com and all the coaches. And I would do like Jason Kreis at realsaltlake.com, jason.kreis at realsaltlake.com. And I, I basically, like, I must have had, I don't know how many delivery failures I had, but like some of them obviously got through, eh? So like 200 odd emails that I'd maybe sent to 200 teams. I got replies back for three teams in the MLS. Houston Dynamo, Real Salt Lake, 
and uh, Columbus Crew. And, but Real Salt Lake put in this kind of discovery tag on me. Yeah. So that meant that with, because it's a league contract, they got first dibs on offering me the, the contract. I, I had no idea who Real Salt Lake were or anything. I had just like sent emails to everybody that I possibly could. And then that kind of happened. And then they sent somebody over to watch me and scored two goals. They were originally going to stay and watch uh, the, uh, another game against Kilmarnock, but they, they were like, oh, shit, he's doing really well. Um, we might miss out on him if we didn't get this deal done. So they saw me on the Sunday, they play me on the, play on the Sunday, and I, I think I was in Salt Lake on the Thursday, um, having signed in pre-season in Argentina on the Friday. So I basically engineered that move myself um, and if you haven't heard the other uh, podcast, um, there, I said there was three teams out of 200 emails, there was three teams that applied, and that was the three teams in the MLS. But there was one other team that applied, and my mate said to me, well, you've got the stuff. He says, um, I dare you to send it to one of the big teams, like Barcelona. Yeah, I dare you. So I sent it to Barcelona, and they replied. And they basically said wow. that um, they had an extensive scouting network and um, if they were interested, they would already have been in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were letting me do it gently, I think. That's nice, though. I well, mean, at, least I at least they didn't say to reply. I'd have I had mean, that framed next to Yeri's five top, Kenny. Aye, I would. I've looked for that email. I cannot find that email. It must be an, 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 an old email address. Just to explain to you, Lee, what the MLS teams can do, they can put discovery rights claims on five players and every year it can change. So, for example, the Whitecaps can go and put a discovery rights claim on Messi, which means if any other team in MLS wants to sign Messi, they have to get the Whitecaps approval to sign him or the Whitecaps have to get him first choice. It's that fucking ridiculous. So, Kenny, just continuing the the MLS stuff like a lot of Scottish players when they've come over here they've struggled it's a very different kind of league to play in because you're travelling like thousands of miles like out here in Vancouver we're travelling more than any other team in MLS because we're going from the west coast all over but you've, you're also you're playing like in Salt Lake I've been to that stadium, which is in the middle of absolutely nowhere as well, because it's outside of Salt Lake City in a place called Sandy. But you've got altitude there. Then you've got the heat of, say, down Florida and LA. Then you've got cold, depending on when you play in different bits. How did you find adapting to everything that the league threw at you? Because it is a very unique experience. I, I, I didn't cope well with it. Um, well, uh... It didn't start very well for me because well, I had already played. I had already been playing for like mm. well, pre-season in July, uh-huh. and then signed with Salt Lake towards the end of February, and then it was pre-season and in Argentina, and then straight into games. But I had a problem. I, there was a problem getting my visa on that. But when I, I went, I basically signed for them. I went to Argentina. Was there for ten days. On the ninth day. I got a thing called Campylobacter infection. And it was 
it was awful. I thought I was dying for two weeks. Um, I, I lost a stone in weight. Where it was, it was, it's basically traveller's diarrhea. Um, I lost a stone in weight. I couldn't train for, well, I couldn't do anything for two weeks. I did go and start doing a wee bit with St Johnston while I was, um, because the the manager was Derek McInnes and he'd been a player at St Johnston when I was uh, when I was there when we won the Challenge Cup and he'd just got the manager's job actually. So he took me for training, but I was basically <laughs> hardly hardly did anything and had lost all this weight and fitness and everything and then we back to Salt Lake and I basically got thrown back in. Now, I, I, I did all right to begin with, but I the the, the conditions I, I was it was a long season for me because you know by the end of the season it was like November and I had been yeah. going through the July the previous uh, season and the conditions didn't particularly suit me. It was uh, it was astroturf. It was very hot a lot of the places. Texas was particularly challenging yeah. because of the humidity. Um, also on the east coast at Washington was very, very humid. Um, Salt Lake was actually all right because it's quite dry. So even although it's really hot, it's it's pretty dry. So that wasn't actually bad playing at altitude there. So the home games were actually all right. But I, it, it was a challenge, but it wasn't just the travelling. I didn't cope well with the fact of how long my season went and the, the obviously the illness in the, in the middle of it. And although... I played probably, I, I was in the top five players a minutes played. Um, I, I had kind of fallen out of favour towards the end of the season when in the playoff run and that. And um, I could have stayed for another year, but there was just, it, it had kind of started to go wrong by then and it wasn't really a positive. I didn't leave there at the end of the season with, a, a, with any positivity. It was all negative feelings, eh? I don't think they really want me. Um, it's not really worked out very well. Um, I've not done myself justice. That type of thing. Um, and you can make you can make these excuses, but at the end of the day, I just wasn't wasn't good enough in the end. Um, and maybe I think back that I could have done things differently, or it may have been different if I had stayed for that extra year and given myself a rest and then a proper pre-season and that. But you know, I came back and I had a really successful year with St. Johnson, probably played the best football in my career. So I, I, I can't really have, have any regrets of, of how it turned out in the end. Uh, it, it's, it's tough over here because like, we've signed players here in Vancouver that have played a full season and then we sign them like you did and then they're having to play another like eight months on top of it. So they're playing for sometimes 20 months straight and it's like you, you just can't do that. Yeah, I, I, it's the adjustment as well for me. Like I was, I was that it was a totally different world for me. Like it, it wasn't the same. Like going to like uh, train on like public parks, like with a full time football team, and and that, like every day, like and then and and then cool weather. Um, Whereas there, it's much more organised, and you know they've got itineraries and all the rest. And games are like on a Saturday night, and you're in away games. You're you're in hotels, and like there's not any day. And like I actually tweaked my calf muscle before, like getting on the bus to go to 
the Toronto game when we played in Toronto, and I played, I played the Toronto game where I pulled calf muscle. Like it wasn't the worst pulled calf muscle, but I was like, I didn't want to admit that I pulled my calf muscle getting on the bus. Like that's like that'd have been a total redneck. Ken, that would have just been a, a disaster, and and I. I Aye, it, it, nothing really went right. I, we, I mean, we had a, as a team, we had a successful season. It was the first time we'd ever. Yeah, you got to the conference final, qualified final. for the playoffs, and the and we got to the Western Conference Finals. They actually got, they actually won it the year after. Yeah. Um, the guy that scored the winning penalty actually the year after is now a is now an a, an a ER doc. Oh. So he's oh. actually became a doctor as well. So he scored the winner in the penalty shootout in the MLS Cup final, and now he's a doctor. So it's a wee bit better than me scoring the winner for East Fife um, in the, the second division, is it? No. Just a bit, I'm just trying to look to see no. who, who no. was it. It's not. <laughs> a, guy, a guy called Robbie Russell. Oh, yeah. Huh. We're going to ask you, did you do a little bit of doctoring in America as well, though? Uh, no. So um, I, I, I always, when I was full time over in Scotland, I, I always did like one day in the hospital or a mm. half day, um, and that was like always part of my negotiation. Like when I was negotiating my contract, I need a Wednesday. You can't have me in on a Wednesday. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Um, but in America, my plan was that if I'd stayed for the second year in my contract, I was going to do the uh, American exams. But not uh, not to, not really practice there, but more to show that I was still doing continuous personal development and uh, medicine, so that when I came back here, I could say, "Oh well, while I've been mucking about playing football, I uh, passed the American uh, medical entrance exams." So <laughs> that looks good in the CV. That was my plan, <laughs> but I, I came back anyway. So I was only a year away from doing medicine, so it, it, it was easier to explain that career gap. Oh, fair enough. And I think that if whoever you were applying for a job at a hospital, if they like football, then you'd have to just say, look on my CV, I've got Jeff Stelling. Um, so if you just give him a bell, he'll put in a good word for me. Uh, but obviously you came back over, you had spells with Hamilton, St. Johnson, Falkirk again, and then Levy. So you were sort of bouncing around a wee bit from season to season the goals weren't coming the way that they were before did you think right I think I'm just going to call it a day now was it did you, were you had in your mind that that was you winding down um, so so when I was at St Johnston I'd signed a year and at the end of the contract I was going to be 30 and at kind of Christmas time I was like right um, I think I'm going to retire for full time so I basically had, so the season was going fine, like we were doing well, blah blah blah. I was like, but I think I've, I think I've taken this far enough now. This is my sixth year full time. I think I'm going to retire. So I went for job interviews. So I basically went for. I didn't tell anybody. So I basically had a job lined up to start in on the first of August, and I had another job that I was going to take for the end of May. It was just like a stopgap, and then it was a proper training post job for the August. So basically, I've made that decision. I've got the job, but there's still like two or three months of the season left. 
So I'm playing the last two or three months of the season thinking, whenever I went out on the pitch, this might be my last game in the Premier League, um, blah, blah, blah. No pressure. No worrying about, like, my teammates are worrying about whether they're going to get a new contract at the end of the season, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what a pressure that is. Um, I was, like, playing with no pressure. So I started playing, like, the best football that I've ever played, like, we were, we were flying for a time period. Uh, we beat, well, Rangers won the league that year and we beat them 4-1 at um, McDermott Park. We also beat um, Hibs 5-1 at McDermott Park. We were, we were really playing really well. I was, I was playing, as I said, the best I'd ever played uh, in my career, but it was all because there was no pressure on me. Eh? The manager came to me uh, a couple of weeks to the season ago and he says... Um, um, uh, I've got a two-year contract on the table for you. And I was like, oh, I was like, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if I'm going to retire, Gaffer. And he was like, what? I was like, well, what, what are you offering me? What are you offering me? I'll, I'll obviously I'll have a think about it. He says, well, it's the same, same terms as what you're on. And I was like, well, I, I, I don't think I'm going to stick around for that. But I'll have a think about it. So I think I slept on it. I just went in there and I said, Good, look, Gaffer, that's no really, it's not any better than what I'm on. Um, I, I've actually got a job lined up because I was thinking I was going to retire. I was kind of sore quite a lot of the time with training and all the rest of it, even although I was enjoying the playing and I was playing well. So I basically left the two-year contract on the table with St Johnston in the Premier League, and I says, right, um, I'm, I'm, but I'm going to play part-time. So I retired a full-time professional football player uh, on my own terms. Um, and then St Johnston were, were, were slightly interested in maybe taking me part-time. But Falkirk were very interested, and Stephen Presley was the manager, and he was desperate to get me. And they were first division, St. Johnston were Premier League, but I'd had um, a problem with getting away for work the, the half day that I had previously said at St. Johnston that I needed to be away for. So I didn't have 100% confidence that um, I, I would be able to you know, not let my job at the hospital do like, I was worried I would end up going in late and being unprofessional. And that was something that I couldn't afford. Whereas when I spoke to Stephen Presley, he was like, whatever. Like, that's the thing. We'll take you part-time, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, right, fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do that. But I went there and I, had a, I picked up an injury, basically, in the last game of the season. And it wasn't right. I missed all pre-season. I was a part-time player. And it didn't really work out after. I just didn't, uh, I just didn't produce really um, what he was expecting, and uh, I was, it was hard because I wasn't training full time. And then by the, the January, he said to me, Livingston have came in, and they would like to take you. Now I'm not forcing you at the door because you're a good professional, and I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to keep you. But it's, uh, I didn't want, I, I don't see you being. First choice, you're not going to play much, but so I'm giving you the choice what to do. 
So obviously, I chose to to uh, go to Princeton to score the hat trick in my first game. So you went to Levy and then you had your spell at Stenhouse Muir, then retired. No, so I went, so I went to I went to I went to Levy and I scored a hat trick in my first game. Yeah, and then you've played the last team that you joined. Aye, was... and, I, and I've got the I've got the I've got the East Fife ball if you want to see it. <laughs> no, I don't. Um... <laughs> I think you scored enough hat-tricks against us, Kenny. Thanks for that. And I distinctly remember playing Stenhouse Muir and uh, you celebrating pretty wildly that game. How many hat-tricks did you score against us? Three? Three. Two, two for Gretna and uh, one for uh, Livingston. That one I was talking about. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, uh, but I also, I also conceded a penalty in that game. I gave you, I, I gave you five as much of a chance as I possibly could. We'll say that that, that was some sort of sentiment, uh, but I doubt it. I, <laughs> I want to ask, though, your, your random out of retirement that you went to Arbroath, was that just a case of the bug wouldn't go away, or was it you did a favour, or, or how did that come around? No, so uh, what happened was that um, I was going to play for the a British medical football team in the World Cup. It was in Brazil, and it was in that was when the World Cup was in Brazil in 2014. I basically played with Paul Sheeran at St Johnston. There was a boy for Denny who was travelling to Arbroath uh, for training. So I basically asked Paul Sheeran, "Can I come to training?" And uh, that was kind of like in the January time. So I was just going to training, like. Monday and Monday and Wednesday or whatever it was, Tuesday, Thursday, whatever it was. And then after a few weeks, he was like, uh, will you play for us? I was like, oh, well, I wasn't really planning on playing, but I felt as if they were doing me a favour by letting me train. And I thought, but and if I play, then I'm going to be even fitter and match fit. So yeah. I said, aye. Um, it wasn't by design. They, 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 um, they wanted to keep me for the year after, actually. Um, but I was like, nah, because I, I basically played for nothing. Like, so I, I like, I didn't get paid for that um, time at Arbroath. I was, I was an amateur. <laughs> there you go. That's something that we didn't know. So you're you're doing coaching now. Yeah, for B license you've got, and you're you're coaching youth. Is that something that you're more just wanting to do that in your spare time, or would you really fancy giving coaching a shot? So just for integrity, my B license will have expired. Um, oh. I've I did my UEFA B license in a uh, two thousand and nine. So. And actually, before uh, before lockdown, I was emailing the guy, what do I need to do to revalidate my B license that I did in 2009? Because so prior to, prior to Christmas, I was basically helping out a tiny wee bit with my wee boys' uh, football team. And it was just because I was going. Like, I was dropping them off. I was like, right. But I had no... Stay so no control or anything, um, which was difficult. And um, 
I uh, I was the joke that I was given at the time was when I did my B license in two thousand and nine. I was on the B license course with guys like Chris Boyd, Lee McCullough, Nacho Novo, Alan Archibald, um, Stevie Crawford. Oh. Uh, he might have been his five manager at that time. Um, and uh, and Sean Maloney was on the course for a wee bit as well. And the joke that I was given at like uh, last year was, well, uh, Sean Maloney's kind of the third coach of Belgium in the World Cup semi-final, and I'm the third choice coach for a seven-a-side under 10 team. So the careers had kind of went, <laughs> the coaching careers had kind of went in a couple of different directions for that course, actually. But um, <laughs> I, I, I never really, I did, the, I did the course at that time because I didn't want to, because um, they were doing it at the international break and I was with St. Johnson at the time and I didn't want to get run for a week because they didn't have a game. And I knew we were going into training with St. Johnson, I'd be like running like the whole, the whole week. And I did that course, and it was over three weeks, and I was such a better player after that course. Like, thinking about the coaching and, and like, even, like, training with these top players um, at, uh, and, and learning for, like, the finishing, Chris Boyd's finishing is phenomenal. Like, in these wee games, it was, it was incredible. And uh, I learned loads for doing that, but... As far as coaching goes, I kind of only did it because uh, to better myself as a player rather than a rather than a coach. Um, but now I've kind of had to take over my wee boys team because um, the the coach quit um, because he had a change of circumstances. So I've uh, I've taken that on and 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 I took it on reluctantly to be honest with you. But I've thoroughly enjoyed it apart from the the lockdown obviously in the middle yeah. of it which has uh, really scuppered a lot of plans so you've had a great career you've won three four league titles you've won a, a challenge cup when you look back at it is there any regrets anything you'd want to do differently second time around i i, I mean like uh, i i think i think um i probably didn't put in as much work as i could have um, I, I, and I feel as if I put in a lot of work. I, I suppose I'm just uh, like overcritical of the fact that maybe I could have, uh, I could have done more. Uh, maybe that's a regret that you didn't realise at the time, and you, you maybe take some things for for granted at the at the time. Um, but and you just tell yourself. I mean, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time, and. Uh, if if I was to think about regrets all the time, then that would take a lot away from uh, all the the good things and experiences. And I certainly learned a lot, even for the for the difficult challenges uh, and and things. Aye, and it, and it stood me in good stead and and other other parts of my life. So here's the moment that you've been itching to talk about this entire podcast, mate. All time elevens. So we'll start off with your all-time with and all-time against. Now, I've played against you, and if I'm not in this team, I'm going to be most upset. And I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but I was, <laughs> I was playing left-back to that game, and you turned to me going, 
I'm going to put it through your legs. And I went, bloody sure he's not putting it through my legs. Literally, first touch, boom, nutmeg. And I was like, oh, there's a picture of me like that. I think I'm doing. There's also an, uh, <laughs> I need to find. And we're doing an overhead kick next to Kenny. Hey, that's it. Listen, that's proper embarrassing if I manage to not make you. Yeah. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a pro, I was the one that was getting not made in training. Aye. That is proper embarrassing for you. Yeah, I'm absolutely honking at football, man, to be honest. So. <laughs> Last but week anyway. you were talking about getting signed for goalkeeping trials with his five. I was I was a decent keeper, um, and one thing that I've not revealed in this podcast yet is Cowden Beef tried to sign me when I was playing for his five youth team. Um, so ah. it wasn't terrible, but Kenny Juker nutmegged me. And I, I also, in that same game, did a pretty dirty tackle on, on Gordon Jury. So I've mm. got two claims to fame in that game. Did, did you have a shower? Is that why Cowden Beef didn't sign you? I think so. It was oh. uh, the, 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 free, the free soap that I was, I was wanting to bring with me. Aye, they, didn't, they didn't have a telly either. No, absolutely. And just so you know, it was Michael that wrote that song. There you go. What yeah. is that? <laughs> that could be your claim to fame. You've had, you've had a podcast with a guy that wrote the Cowden family. They think it's all over. Yeah. Well, um, see, 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 to go back to your point about um, you played left back in that game. Yeah. I have actually got a player for that game that... I've got in my team and I was I was really I, I was actually when when I was thinking about the the players that I'd played against and my top 11 I was really struggling for a left back so you'll be pleased to know that I've not been I back. changed my formation to have three <laughs> centre backs <laughs> <laughs> it's like teen up teen up not right down, eh? Cheers for that, Kenny. Thanks. No shot they didn't in flames enough in this podcast, no. I'll, now I know why they say never, they never turn out to be how you want them to be, eh? <laughs> Sorry, you just, you just set that up for me, mate. Ah, that's, that's it, that's it, that's fine. See, when I come off this and I cried my wife's arms that I've been humiliated by my hero on three or four <laughs> Anyway, let's get on to this and Michael, edit that out, will you, for fuck's sake? <laughs> no. I'll be putting all this together as a YouTube video. That's the best bit. Right. So um what are we what what are we going with first? Is it is it is it played with, with or played against? Played with. Played with. Uh, right, so for played with, I've uh, I've went with a, a four three three formation. Right, so, well, I, the first name, maybe they'll know who it is, uh, except Michael might know. Um, the goalkeeper oh. would Nick Nick Romando. He, he, he was a goalkeeper at Real Salt Lake, and he holds the uh, like number of MLS appearance record. He holds the most number of clean sheets ever in MLS. He went to World Cup as the third-choice goalkeeper. And that. See if he had been a wee bit taller, he would have been a top, top-level uh, goalkeeper. He could have played outfield as well. He was that good with his feet. Anyway. He just retired at um, the end of last season. So, left back, I just the end of last season, he was like 40, 41 yeah. or something like that. Aye. The wall of the Wasata. That's the mountain range. But anyway, 
Right. Um, so right back, and I thought because I was coming on the uh, East Fife, and I would have had him in anyway, but um, he's not just a player that I would have as my right back, but I wanted to put him in because, and I talked a wee bit about him earlier as uh, an important part of my career with regards to the season that we had, the promotion season that we had with East Fife. Um, and uh, he was our captain that year. So it's not just really him. It's kind of a nod to the, the whole team for that year. Um, and uh, I would have right back would be Gordon Gordon Russell, who's obviously my, my cousin. So a wee bit biased, but uh, I felt that um, I haven't really had anybody else that's been as good a teammate or uh, a support uh, as him. So, uh, so he's definitely my right back. And uh, left back, I've got Kyle Norton. Now he he was on loan at Gretna. Um, he's been on to play with Spurs and uh, Norwich. I think he, he plays with Swansea now. So he's played in the Premier Premiership and all the rest of it. He was just a young boy when he came to us, but he's he's had a he's had a really good career. Went for millions, I think, to Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Um, centre backs, I've got Michael Dubery, who was uh, obviously at St Johnston and. Passed with Leeds and Chelsea. Other centre-back knew. He wasn't the best player when I played with him. And he was he was coming towards the end of his career. But he's a top, top, top manager now. Sean Dyche at, uh, ah. at Burnley. He was, he, was, uh, he was one of the experienced pros at Northampton Town when I went there. And see, see when he's become a manager, I've been like, I, I can't believe he's like a, a, a manager. I, I couldn't believe he's a manager. I, I can't believe how good he is. He, but he's a brilliant manager. Brilliant manager. Um, midfield, I've got a midfield three of uh, Jody Morris, uh, James McCarthy, and uh, boy Kyle Beckerman. Now, oh, yeah. everybody knows Jody Morris and James McCarthy, obviously. Um, but Kyle Beckerman, like a different level this boy he's he now holds the record for the most seasons played in MLS so he's he is still playing he's up to season 21 uh, in in MLS um, played at the World Cup with the USA got over 50 caps Uh, uh, just an absolutely uh, brilliant brilliant player defensive midfielder quick fun Um, fact about Beckerman he just got sent off in the last game he played for kicking a ball at the referee after the final whistle because he was so pissed oh off. God. He blooted the ball at the ref and he's got a two-game suspension now. He's, he's had a few sentences off. He, he got um, suspended. The Alsa Lake got to the, basically the equivalent, a con- so CONCACAF Champions League, basically. So the equivalent Champions League. The Alsa Lake got to the final and he got suspended in the semi. I couldn't play in the final. He was a captain and that. But what is so good about that for him, well, it doesn't sound good, but he, he's actually had a better career after that and after mm-hmm. dealing with that than what he had before. He went to a World Cup after that. Anyway, um, Nobody's probably interested in him. Uh, <laughs> well, we've got we've got a, a decent following in Canada because of Mike. So we've got a lot of MLS fans that listen. Aye, right. Oh well. We, we actually used to have these dreads as well. It was quite, Aye. Uh, so, so the forward line 
Um, I'm going to go with the player that I played with in that game that you played against us and with East Fife. And uh, I played uh, up front that day and that was like an absolute honour to play alongside and up front with Gordon Jury. Um, he was a guy, he was a player that you know I grew up watching, watching it playing for Scotland, um, and like I, I, I was like I was a wee bit starstruck playing in that game alongside him and like him giving me compliments and like uh, I, I mean I, that 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 was that was but apart from apart from not Megan Lee, that was the best thing about that game. <laughs> To be fair, I remember lining up in the tunnel like to go out for that game. I'm like, oh, there's Ross Graham, there's Kenny Juker, there's Gordon Jury, and you're just like, <sighs> Gordon Jury, man. I mean, I that was even that was a great day. That was a great day. Even the like, even anyway, that, I mean, everybody's going to be getting bored of me now, right? Let's get through this. <laughs> go on, then you want. So the other the other two forwards I've got I've got Kevin McAllister, who was kind of towards the end of his career when I was at Falkirk, but like he's the best player I've seen that has no got a, a cap for his country. Like what like like his ball control was like you couldn't get the ball off him. Like his bat like even then he didn't he had lost his pace and all that, but he, he was still like oh. What a player he was. And I remember watching him as a kid. Uh, and uh, there's a goal he scored against Huntley. And I know Huntley's no like the best opposition, but he runs for his own half, beat about 10 players and scored a goal in the Scottish Cup against Huntley. And then there was another one where he was playing for Falkirk in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup against Hearts at Ibrox. And what a goal he scored. Like, and, he, and, and it wasn't that goal, just that goal. He absolutely, Hearts took the lead early. He absolutely run the show for the rest of the game and scored an equaliser and then Hearts hit us with a sucker punch at the end. But that is like the best single performance I've ever seen for anybody. And I was, uh, it was an absolute honour and a privilege to uh, play alongside that, that guy. He, he was incredible. Um, possibly, possibly the best player I've, like being fortunate enough to be on the same pitch with. Um, the last last one is is Ian Jessen. He was at the end of his career as well. Like he was at Northampton Town, but I remember when I was younger, he was, what a player he was when he was a youngster at Aberdeen and that, and had a career in the Premiership and obviously. And I remember we went to our first game uh, with Northampton. It was an away game, and I had been training with the youth team at, uh, at Gretna the week before, and then I was on the bus and I was sitting across the the table and the bus for Ian Jess and a boy called Ian Taylor who'd played in the Premiership for years with Aston Villa as well. So I was sitting across with these guys going, I can't, be- I can't believe I'm actually in the same team as these guys. <laughs> I was a, a really good, strong 11 and I'm, I'm very surprised you didn't pick your big mate Gordon Gilbert. If he's listening, he's going to be fuming. Well, I had, I had penciled him in. And given the career that he had after East Fife, maybe he should have been in. But at East Fife, he played kind of on the wing and up front, and that wasn't his best position that he found out. He was a centre-half or left kind of back, which he didn't play with us. So um, he definitely went on to bigger and better things after 
after East Fife. And I, I did have him in, and I, I have to admit, I took him out. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. Finally, your best 11 against. Uh, all right. Um, let's take a wee bit of time. So, uh, goalkeeper Joe Hart, um, he, was on loan at, uh, he was on loan at Blackpool for four games for Man City. And uh, I just was fortunate enough to be at Northampton at the time when we played against them. Uh, Centre-backs, I've got David Weir, Wes Morgan and Bobo Baldi. Sorry, Leah, I missed you. I, so I, I kinda, I, 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 although I did joke about leaving out the, set, the, the left back, I felt as if, though, because of being a centre forward and all the battles that I've had over the years, three centre backs was probably, yeah. like, I, that, that was probably better to, uh, to go with that. So mid, my midfield is strong, I'm going to say. My midfield is strong. So I've got David Beckham on the right. I've got Lauren Robert on the left. I've got Scott Brown. Now, he was a youngster at Hibs when I first played against them, and he, like, was ridiculous in that game. I think they hammered us 6-0 six, six when I was at Gretna. And the other centre mid I put is uh, a guy called uh, Quatamar Blanco. Now, he played for Mexico, and is probably their second greatest player of all time. And he was, like, at the end of his career with Chicago Fire when I went over there. And he couldn't run. He couldn't move. But he smashed one into the top corner um, for a free kick or something in the last minute and like got an equaliser. He would his his close control now was like it was like incredible. You could see he was world class. Eh? Um, so up front, I've got uh, I've got Chris Boyd. Just his finishing is unbelievable. Like when I in training, like I played against him, but the, the finishing when seeing him up close in training was unbelievable. And the other two strikers, I've got Robbie Keane. I, I, he played at Celtic. I played against him at Celtic. I, I think I lasted 15 minutes, but um, I still played against him. And he's like world class. Yep. And uh, Landon Donovan uh, for uh, LA Galaxy. So I'm quite happy with the teams, actually. I haven't really thought about them before. Well, there you go. That's the whole point of me asking. It takes a wee trip down memory lane. Aye, good stuff. Aye, I had to leave some out, too. I had to leave some good players out. Like you, Lee. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know. That's the biggie. That was the biggie. Look, what we'll do is we'll make sure I get you a signed shirt. Thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> but all joking aside, you played against some good players. Did you manage to get any other shirts? So I was right next to Beckham when, uh, when, when the final whistle went and I asked him for his shirt. He said he'd already promised it to some like girl in the crowd. Oh, I bet he did. I know, I know. I know. I've got, I've, but I've got like, I've got a David Weir shot. I've got, I've got Christoph Berra. Um, I've got Stephen McManus. I, I, I'd never, I've never washed that. I, I burst his nose and there's still some of his blood on it. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. Like, um, I, and I've got, I've got like, I've got a Derry City um, top for the UEFA Cup and I've got my uh, East Fife top, which is my top. Uh, this is memorabilia you're talking about, eh? Yeah. yeah. This is that stuff. I've, I've got three. Well, I've got three, um, three East Fife hat-trick balls as well. Thanks for that. I idea. gave one of them to one of the supporters, actually. I, scored, I, I, uh, I, gave, them the, I gave Kenny Hancock the, the match ball, 
And uh, I've got one that scored four goals. I've still got that uh, four goals against Elgin City. I've still got that ball in the garage. Well, there you go. Definitely. Well, there's one thing that I left to the end, and it was a thank you from Greg McDonald for breaking his nose, which uh, he told us in the, the podcast. Was it Greg McDonald that said that he broke his nose with a flying elbow last time we played against him? I don't remember we'll that. Fact check that. We'll fact check Did that. Did you get that I'm from sure Wikipedia as well? Yeah. No, Greg said it in the, in the show. Well, um, he never said anything when he was the Sterling Albion manager and he was letting me train with him. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I, I thought we were still pals. Like, but yeah. can, I, can I just say, can I just say before we finish, see to all the East Fife fans that like contributed to my birthday message. Yeah. That was absolutely brilliant. And... Uh, one of the best, one of the best things I've ever got was that video, and that really made it uh, really special as well. And I know, I think, um, I think it was it was at Doug Perry that Doug was um, he he was organising it. So I, I'm quite friendly with his his uh, brother. So I really appreciate that he uh, obviously organised that. But for everybody that I mean, there was one guy that was absolutely killing me, man. Uh, but it was so funny. <laughs> I'm going to put money on that. That's big Scott Young. He's pretty tone deaf, like. Um, uh, but, um, right, so if, if if Doug's if Doug does listen to this one, then um, I'm wanting a I'm I'm wanting a game of golf for him. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that he'll he'll be more than happy for that. Um, and yeah, there you go. That you've you've actually got a piece of Lee Gillis memorabilia because I sang you happy birthday for your for your big one, mate. So there you go. Right. And it's got pretty good place, man. I thought so, and to be fair, I was due you because you did the the bagpipes for my dad's 60th as well, um, a couple of years back. So it, it was good to be able to repay the favour, mate. I so, think your singing was better than my bagpipe playing, though. Doubt that. <laughs> my singing's worse than my football, and that's saying something. Your singing wasn't great, but it was definitely better than my bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, Michael, but I've I've really, really enjoyed that. And even though you've taken the complete and utter piss out of me for the majority of it, um, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great. Pleasure chatting to you, Kenny. And yeah, always a pleasure watching you. It was always a pleasure chatting to you and your dad after the game as well. Yeah, dad was an absolute legend. Thanks, thanks very much, Kenny. The legend, the good doctor, Kenny Duker there. I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat as much as we enjoyed chatting with Kenny. It was some great stuff. Really roasted Lee. Not sure he's quite recovered from it yet. All good fun though, of course. It does just make you wonder though, if East Fife had been able to keep hold of him, if they hadn't got relegated that season, where could they have been? But football is a game of what ifs. If your auntie had balls, you'd be your uncle. All that kind of stuff, you can't dwell in the past. We just have to enjoy the moments that he was here and what great moments they were. They don't call him King Kenny for nothing. And talking of King Kenny, that brings us nicely to this week's wavelength. 
And it's a song about another King Kenny. And it's a song from a band called Barmy Army from their album The English Disease. And I thought, obviously, we know that somebody in the Gillis household is a, a big Liverpool fan. So I thought to celebrate them winning the league and also to celebrate a Scottish legend who played with them for a number of years, this is a song all about Kenny Dalgleish. It's called Sharp as a Needle.
Barmy Army there, Sharp as a Needle. That was a song I first heard on John Peel's show. Obviously, it's it's mostly music, not a lot of lyrics in it, and a lot of sampling as well. But Kenneth Douglas, obviously an absolute legend down there. And yeah, hopefully we can get some songs written about some East Fife legends. Because we've got all these local bands that we've been playing and have you heard. It'd be fantastic if some of them could write some football songs. If they wanted to write about East Fife or East Fife players, even better. Who would be your, if you were going to write a song about an East Fife player, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a good question. Ah, if we're looking modern era, I would write it probably about Kenny Duker. I just think that would be a good one to, to write about because just his interesting life and the goal that he got. It'd be wonderful to write a song about the 38 cup winning team. I mean, that that would be the ultimate song because obviously there's very few songs about East Fife. We played Dutch punk band Slugger. I do have another one which I've held off playing because it's called East Fife 4445 and I don't like that result. But that's the only two songs I know that have been written about East Fife. So if there's other ones out there, let us know. And if you're a band listening to this that wants to write about East Fife, let us know. But what, what about you, Lee? What would you write a song about? I don't know. I'm going to say Aaron Dunsmore. I would write a song about Aaron Dunsmore purely for his goals that he gets scored against the Rovers and, and the, the feeling that he gave me in my jellies when that went in. So I'm going to go for Aaron Dunsmore. If I'm going as a whole, it's got to be Kenny, isn't it? It's, it's got to be Kenny. Mm. Or maybe um, we could do a sort of, I think it was at Barry that did the baggy trousers. Yes. Players. That, that was the best East Fife song that we had. Uh, that would definitely, we would maybe have to encapsulate something like that and, and speak to Madness and see if we could yes. borrow, the, borrow the music for that. But that we would, wrote that, would... that in my car, possibly going to Dumbarton actually, but we wrote it in, the, in, in my car going out to one of the games in the West. Happy days. I, I remember us all having the song sheets for that one. Well, Phil think... was a prime candidate to write in his five songs, surely. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've said to Phil already he's needing to get an East Fife song. Called Glory Days of Gold, just mentioning all our achievements and all our best players. It would then be our theme song. He'd get to play it every week. Once we move on to the radio and television, he'd get the royalties for that. Sorted. It's all the possibilities absolutely endless with me. And having heard that some of my singing, if you ever need me for backing vocals, Phil, let me know. Some say that I've got the voice of an angel, a tone-deaf angel, but an angel nonetheless. You're a man of many talents. <laughs> I could punch you a phone, but I'll be a bit. <laughs> I was trying to be nice to you after the roasting Lee's just got from our chat with King Kenny there. Yeah. Although I have started putting the words and lyrics together to my own East Fife song, but I just need somebody that's a bit more musically talented than I am to put some music and sing to it because I could do neither nor. Um, but the person that wrote our jingle um, is a guy called Guy Galactic in Dundee. He's a, uh, my cousin, he's a music producer, so I'm going to reach out to him to see if he's got any friends that are more musically minded that can maybe record that for us. Yeah. I like what I've got so far, but I'll just keep that close to my chest. Interesting. I would like a, a Scottish rap song because I've got into my Scottish rap a lot recently. Uh, some really good artists out of Edinburgh. I'm sure we might even feature them in the show at some point once you, you've exhausted your selections of Have You Heard. Um, so I'd like a nice Fife rap one about East Fife or Bayview. So if there's any rappers out there, yeah, 
That's my challenge to you. I have backwards. I have actually challenged a friend of mine who is in metal-based schlock punk band Thirteen Tombs to to write a song. He writes a lot of songs with a horror theme, so I've challenged him to to write a song about East Five players having a dodgy pie and then turning into zombies and then eating the brains of all the Wraith Rovers players and fans. So we'll see if he can come up with that. A nice light-hearted ditty. That's what you want. Yeah, um, not really sure how I feel about that, but I'll be interested to hear when it comes on. <laughs> well, look, we're on to the final part of the, the show for this week. After that, Ditty, you may be pleased to hear that. Um, so going to go to our mailbag. So we've had a few things come through, and nice to see some emails coming in. I tend to just get social media stuff, but going to go first of all to a gentleman called Graham Donaldson. Um, he's messaged us a couple of times, and he seems to be enjoying the show. So he uh, reached out to tell me some of the, the funny things and shows that he's heard. So he said, in 2004, we played Whitehill well, uh, Welfare at uh, end of the Scottish Cup. We beat them mm. 3-0, I think, in front of about 350 people. Near the end, the left-back and one of their centre-halves started having a go at one of another and had to be separated by their teammates. It wasn't quite Lee Boyer versus Kieran Dyer, but you could tell that they were seriously pissed off of one another. This led to relentless teasing from our fans to stir it. Number three, number four is talking about you. Number four, number three says you're shite. Um, so very, very funny, but sadly it didn't inspire any proper fight between them. So I, I like that one. It gave yeah. it a good chuckle when I heard that. I was at that game. I don't remember that, but I, I remember being down at that one. We we had that happen here with the Whitecaps before they went into MLS. Two of the guys were fighting on the pitch and they both got sent off. And then you see one going up the tunnel and then the other guy's running up the tunnel as well. And then it obviously suddenly clicked on the bench. They were like, shit, they're both going to be in the locker room by themselves. So then you just saw people flying up the tunnel afterwards in case <laughs> there was going to be more. Superb. Um, he got another one from me. Um, he, sorry, Graham gave us another one um, that he said was a real standout from and a dreadful cup replay against Forfar in about 1998 and 1999 where we lost 1-0. One fan st- uh, stood up and shouted, come on, he's this is absolutely deplorable, which he thought was great because it was a change from shite. So thanks very much for that, Graham. Um, we also got another one from Laura Anderson, um, who was telling me about a game where it was involving a former Rangers player and adversary of ours, uh, Mr. Barry Ferguson, who coincidentally called me a swear word in that um, match against Clyde where we won the league. And I shouted, get it up to him when we won the league. And he called me a wee fanny or something along those lines. Is um, this why you hate Kelty? No comment. Um, <laughs> so... Laura's answer, and thanks again, Laura. Um, my favourite shout isn't uh, football from. Uh, sorry, I'll try again. Also, my favourite shout at football isn't from a stand, but still entertaining. Oh, you stop being shite, Mister Barry Ferguson, Eastwife versus Clyde at Bayview Stadium, circa 2016. She says that she couldn't tell us which uh, Clyde player it was, um, or what he did, or to do, or didn't do to deserve it. But that sounds like something an inspiring guy like Barry Ferguson might say. You know. He went on to have an amazing career at Clyde, spending all that money, then some of his own money as well, and still did absolutely F all with him. So we'll take that as a resounding get it up you to Barry back past Ferguson. More one, another final one came from Paul Forrester. Um, hi, Paul. Paul's a, a, a t-shirt buying and former sponsor, so thanks again. So he came through and he wanted to talk about, about the Aberdeen FC 
um, incident obviously that's happening. He said that Aberdeen are in brackets as we team. Um, and he said that, in his opinion, they've behaved in a ridiculous manner, um, no professionalism. But he's so angry at them that after the performance on Saturday, which was shocking, he said he works in a care home and have worked right through uh, this and he gets tested weekly. And these so-called players knew the risks. He's just absolutely gobsmacked um, to see what the Aberdeen players are, are doing. And do you want to know what? I'm kind of on the fence for this one because you know these guys are entitled to go out for a pint as, as much as anyone is. I know that I've been to the pub, so I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite to anyone. I've been to the pub more than once, actually. So, you know, these guys are, they've got jobs to do as well, and, and they, they deserve turmoil like any of us. But I, I do get the point. But, yeah, well, I suppose we'll, we'll need to wait and see how that unfolds in the coming weeks. Because, obviously, if you've caught COVID, I think it's a 10-day quarantine now. Mm. So how many fixtures is that going to, ruin, uh, going to unfold for them? And all their family are going to have to quarantine for two weeks. So... I'm just, I'm just hopeful that it's, it's not going to take us back to square one, Mike. I mean, the pubs are open, so folk are allowed to go. I, I won't get into it just now. I genuinely don't think the pubs should be open just now because everywhere in the world that things have spiked up again, it's from pubs and restaurants and nightclubs, and we've had it out here, and that that's a whole other debate. We had a guy here with the Whitecaps during quarantine where you weren't allowed to play football in the park which I think was the same in Scotland. So he was out for a run. Some guys were playing football. They recognised him and said, oh, come and join our game. And the idiot took part in the game. He got filmed and then it appeared in the news. So then he had to then quarantine for 14 days and got fined. But then it turned out another player was with him and the two of them had taken part in the game. Crazy. Absolutely crazy, but... You want to know what? That's just football in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, you know, the footballers get a reputation for having no brains and, well, it's it's kind of uh, easy to see how justifiable that is with the actions of some of them. And just before we finish up, one of the ones I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you've caught it, but I, I listen to talk sport every morning on my way to work. Um, I love Alan Brazil and I love Alan McCoyce. I think they're absolutely hilarious. But did you see this week Jamie O'Hara's quote? Yes. About, oh, my about God. Myth. How can you possibly think that Bournemouth are a bigger club than Rangers? You know, then he's, he's put his tail between his legs and he's come back and he said it's a bigger job. Now, have Bournemouth ever been in Europe? No. Are Rangers playing in Europe pretty much every season now again? Yes. Are Scotland rising up their coefficient rankings and Rangers have got a chance to get into the Champions League again? Yes. So how can you possibly say that the Bournemouth job's bigger than a Rangers one? You know, Rangers are filling at a 50,000-seater stadium week in, week out. You know what I mean? Bournemouth, I think, capacity is low to mid-20s. No, it's not even that. I think it... I'm pretty sure it's in the teens. Yeah. It's, you know, absolutely pie in the sky. It's just... It captures everything that the, the English people think of our, our league to think that, that, you know, that the Bournemouth job's a bigger one than, than the, the Rangers one. You know, I would argue that, you know, even the likes of Aberdeen, Dundee United, Hearts, Hibs are all bigger clubs than Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, and that you know that's my opinion, and you know feel free to change that. Um, I've got one more thing in our mailbag, which I don't know if you've. In fact, no, you did catch it because I seen that you replied to him. Is we've got the opportunity to have a new fan. Now, this is where I want all these five fans to get involved in this. So, this gentleman, I was messaging him for a bit last night. Um, thank you very much, by the way, to East Five FC um, who put them onto our podcast. So. This guy um, is on Twitter. I've not managed to find out his name or where he's from yet, but he's 
at YNWA19A3. So I'm going to guess that he's um, a Liverpool fan. Judging by his badge, he's got a Borussia Mönchengladbach and Liverpool hybrid uh, badges he supports. But he basically said he's interested in finding a Scottish uh, club to support. He's going to browse around in the old firm. So well done, Amy. So I really think that we should all be tweeting him and, and let's get this guy um, and his Fife fan. He said that there's only a few clubs that have got back to him and, and one of them was... He's Fife and again they passed him on to the pod so I think that we've got a chance to capture a new fan the other one that I've mentioned um, that I'd quite like us to uh, get hound in is uh, my friend George now George has listened to the podcast um, George is from London but moved up to Fife he's a diehard Arsenal fan um, proper Cockney lad um, and he has never picked a Scottish team. Now, I've tried several times to get him to be an East Fife fan and he's not been for it. I believe that Isla English even took him a game because they went to school together and we've not managed to capture him. I think that we should get George on the show and also our new guy and we should sell him on our love for East Fife. I think that I'd quite like to get involved in that Stephen Mill. So Stephen, if you're listening and you're available, it would be great to get you on and you can talk to these guys a bit about the history and perhaps maybe some of our more neutral listeners about the history of Fife and, and what the club's done and achieved and, and can meet to them. So let us know if you'd be interested in hearing that section. I, I think that it's a great idea and, and a good chance to get involved with some, some fans that are maybe not so, so sure in East Fife. And finally, before we go... Um, a massive congratulations to East Fife fan Isla English who got engaged um, while she was over in Amsterdam. Absolutely devastated to announce that it's to a Rovers fan. But oh. all joking, I know, I know, it's complete sacrilege. But you know, all joking aside, Ryan's a, Ryan's a top guy, a top top guy, and we're absolutely, I'm absolutely delighted for Isla. And hopefully, we could convince Isla to have our wedding at Bayview, and maybe she could even come down there to Telstar. Who knows? get yourself a black and gold dress Isla I'll even squeeze into 140 if you manage to pull that one off but uh, all joking aside congratulations Isla yeah congratulations it's weird because I just think of people like Isla still so young because that's the last time I saw her so yeah I mean Isla's a, a full-blown teacher and everything now so there you go a proper adult just bought her first house moved into her house lockdown happened and her and her, her boyfriend were stuck together for three months and if, if, you, if you could survive to, together just the two of you for three months then I'm sure that you'll have a long and happy future together so uh, one more time congratulations but that's pretty much it from us this week like I did say to you it was going to be short and sweet from our side of things but we've brought you three different interviews this week as well as your wavelength section you'll have you heard and also your who are you so it has been a jam-packed show it's been one that I've really enjoyed I hope you've enjoyed Kenny Joker taking the complete piss out of me um, as much as I enjoyed having it taken but yeah let us know your thoughts on the usual social media network so you'll find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Glory Days of Gold. You can find me on Facebook, Lee Gillis. You can find me on Twitter at LeeG1903. I've also launched our Spotify page um, this week um, and I've started featuring some local bands in there as well, some cheesy tunes that I've been listening to on my commute on my way to work. A bit of Taylor Swift in there as well. So if you're into a bit more of your cheesy stuff, then get on board and you can follow us in there too. Michael's shaking his head at me, but if you don't like Swifty, then you know, get out of my life. Yeah. So- <laughs> My, I've got a wavelength Spotify that I'm still putting together because not all the songs that I've featured in the in the show for the last four years have have been on it, and it's mostly just punk and rap. So that's the much better selection. Yeah, well, we'll see. Where can the, our listeners find you, Michael? Yeah, two Twitter accounts. So give me a follow. 
Best place to get them is really at AFT in Canada. You can also get at AFT in website. And check out away from the numbers, aftn.co.uk, the East Five website. And I will eventually get right into putting more stuff up on it. Yeah, we've got some stuff coming up on YouTube as well. So keep your eye out on our, our YouTube channel. Um, we're hoping to get the, the interview with Darren up there fairly quickly for the non-podcast fans and neutrals to get involved in. But we're going to wrap it up now because we've been talking for a, a long, long time. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Keep calm. Carry on. Control the virus, etc., etc. But more importantly, as always, on the five. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.